0: This episode of The Hammer Factor is brought to you by the 2020 2020 Whitewater Journal. Pick up your Whitewater Journal at hammerfactor.com. Paddle more. Remember it all.
1: over in a 747 (laughs) wide body with 12 people on the entire plane (laughs) it was amazing i mean we were all laughing about it It was fucking amazing (laughs) well i got my masks, so i'm ready
0: all right welcome to hammer factor episode 71 my name is john grace producer here at the show i'd like to introduce my co-host john weld owner at immersion research and lewis geltman policy director and North Fork champion, policy director of the Outdoor Alliance. Guys, January is almost over.
1: Greetings from Maui. Greetings
0: from Maui. <laughs> You're not in Maui.
1: <laughs> no, we are. My wife, Karen, and I, we got sick of the winter here, and we decided to, uh, to hold up in Maui for the rest of the winter.
0: That's why you got that toboggan on, down jacket.
1: Mm-mm. <laughs> I, I want to go to that. Maui. Just we packed up the Sprinter van and the kids, and we headed, we headed out. Yeah, the rest of the Hood, Hood River win Johnnies. If,
2: if, sh- if you have a seven-figure trust fund, you go to Baja for the winter. And if you have an eight- or nine-figure <laughs> trust fund, then you go to Maui for the winter.
1: Right. Well, we're down here with them. <laughs> we, we, we put our Sprinter van on a cargo ship so we could have her down here. <laughs> Namaste <sighs> is outfitted just the way we like it. So we have the kids in this immersion sub school here. It's They're thriving. It's an amazing opportunity for them.
0: <laughs> what are we you got, laughing at? We got a hell, hell of a show lined up here. We have uh, lots to talk about. We, Lewis, you have a, there's a lot
1: going on with the Clean Water Act. Kids learn best when they interact with nature. <laughs> <laughs> They're filled with wonderment and delight as they sup <laughs> through the turquoise waters of Maui.
0: Oh, it's going to be that kind of show. We have John Mark Seelig on, captain of the U.S. rafting team. Those guys recently attempted to break the speed record for the Grand Canyon. Hear a little bit about them.
1: Have you seen pictures of Namaste, our, sub, or our uh, sprinter van?
2: <laughs> no, I haven't. It, have its own, it has its own Instagram account, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs>
0: That's where you're hiding on Instagram. <laughs> we also have Bobby Cooper. Member manager at CKS coming on to give us some insider beta uh, from the Paddle Sports Retailer. We've been talking about the health of the industry for quite some shows, and Bobby is foot on the ground on the retailer side, so we figured it'd be good to hear his viewpoint. We were talking with Tony Miley from Four Corners recently, but he is actually in Maui.
1: Right. So we'll... We're doing, a, we're doing a yoga class this afternoon together. <laughs> so we're going to have to wrap things up.
0: All right, let's get into it then. Um, man, so what do you guys been up to? Is, 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 is there still water out in your
1: parts? Papayas. That's what we're up to. <laughs> That's all we're eating is papayas. Are fruititarians <laughs> You're fruitarian. <now. laughs> yep. You and Tony.
3: <laughs> the whole family. It's all reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't
1: keep it straight. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now keep going. <laughs> keep going. Oh man. <laughs> so, any kayaking in your guys's? Uh, have you guys been paddling?
1: Yeah, oh, my, I'm going to kayak an embargo right now.
2: I'm rapidly filling up my 2020 Hammer Factor Whitewater journal. Oh, uh,
0: how many days you got now?
2: I think like 20. Oh, man. I've had a little I rub. There. I'm up I to went a... to... You went to where? Oh, I was going to say I went to D.C. the week before last, and it really uh, ruined my, my numbers. But I spent some good time, some quality time at Hooters, hanging out with the Deep State, so it was all worth it. Nice.
0: <laughs> I thought that Hoover <laughs> shut down.
1: <laughs> that's what you think. That's what they want you to believe. They go to another like in Beltsville or something now. <laughs> what,
0: Weld, have you got day one yet?
1: No. <laughs> Dude, I'm tough on this. Full one. embargo. Dude, someone stopped me in the grocery store. This is so Hood River, and they're like, "Dude, have you paddled yet?" I'm like, "Who? What?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So you're still you. You made it through one month. <laughs>
1: A decade, a <laughs> whole decade. I'm, I'm free. You're holding free
0: strong. <laughs> you're holding strong. You made it a whole month, thirty yeah. day challenge. You're in there,
2: right? Oh, it's water is booming out here though. New new record high water. Little weight descent happened yesterday. What? What was the level? Five point six.
0: Five point six. Who did that?
2: Uh, Benny Isaac and Eg.
0: Five point six.
2: That is really high. Spirit. No spirit. It sounded mind blowing.
0: I bet. What do you think the CFS of that is?
2: Two thousand. Two thousand. I don't yeah, know. It's like, a, it's like a low gay, water poly. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's just like, like a low water poly. Hey,
1: well, I you mean, know, that's man. like the amount of water flowing through that. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a lot of water going through that little river.
0: Well, if you're gonna make a comeback, now's the time, Will.
1: Seriously. I'm thinking about it. (laughs) It
0: makes flash.
1: Right? Tyler Broad came into the shop the other day. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna run going to run the little white by my through a solo run, and it was like five feet. We're like, really? He's like, fuck no. (laughs) 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 Oh god.
0: (laughs) Well, Anyway, we got a hell of a show lined up. We should get into it because we have just a few minutes here before we're going to patch Bobby in. Um, Lewis, what do you have on? You just got back from DC. You're fresh out of the swamp. What do you have?
2: Well, I know you you spent a lot of time digging into these Clean Water Act rules, so uh, we should probably talk about that.
0: First of all, what happened with
2: the Clean Water Act? So, so to, like to briefly cruise through the backstory you know, this is the Clean Water Act regulates basically like when you can discharge what into rivers and streams and lakes and the ocean and whatever. And, um, you know, there's a question of what is the, what is the scope of jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act? Like what waters are protected? And, you know, there was sort of a longstanding understanding on that. And then in the early 2000s, there were a couple of Supreme Court cases that, called into question the permissible scope of jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act, like whether um, whether the government could regulate sort of isolated wetlands, basically like things without any connection to, uh, you know, like traditionally jurisdictional waterways. And so, you know, eventually, I can't remember what happened in the Bush administration, but in the Obama administration, there was a long rulemaking process to clarify which waters, which bodies of water are protected. And, you know, that was basically designed to be responsive to the concerns raised by the Supreme Court and also the science around, you know, the sort of fact that is obvious to any kayaker, which is that small streams flow into large streams, you know, just because a river or, you know, just because a creek doesn't have water in it all year round doesn't mean that when it does have water in it, it it isn't going to bring, you know, pollutants that were put into that waterway into bigger waterways you know when the rain comes so um you know the obama administration went through like a very very scientific scientifically and legally buttoned up rulemaking to to define the scope of jurisdiction like pretty expansively and that rouse the ire of the the building industry of um big ag of basically any sort of industry that is interested in polluting rivers and so the trump administration has been engaged in you know basically rescinding that rule making and putting in place a new new set of rules under the clean water act that you know would would drastically curtail what bodies of water are protected and grace i think you have the stats top of line more than i do but i think it would eliminate protections for something like 60 percent of the the um wetlands that are currently protected in the u.s you know a huge number of like you know ephemeral or in intermittent streams like you know streams that basically flow um you know, only after rain. So there was, you know, a proposed rule, I want to say last spring, we, at our alliance, working with AW, American Canoe Association, uh, Surf Rider Foundation, and uh, a law firm based out of D.C., we wrote, you know, pretty extensive comments on that rulemaking process, you know, basically arguing and pointing out that, you know, if you don't protect you know, small streams from pollution, you know, you're not protecting the big streams either, right? And, like, as kayakers, we ingest more river water than pretty much anybody. So, you know, we're susceptible to, to whatever whatever gets put into these rivers. Um, and basically... You know, that input got more or less ignored. And the the final rule from EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers just came out about a week ago, and it's it's really awful. So, you know, what the next steps are there, I mean, basically... Basically what's going to happen is that the you know big conservation organizations are going to going to litigate this. It's going to get tied up in litigation. Um you know if there's a new administration here in a year, I think chances are good that we'll just go back to the drawing board, board all over again and you know write a new set of rules that protect these these rivers. Um You know, if we don't have a new administration, I think this is going to stick around and, you know, pollution is going to get worse. And that's that's how it's going to be. You know, I I think for us in the meantime, you know, there's certainly a role to play for Congress here in, you know, doing oversight over what EPA is proposing here. or you know, working to finalize here. You know, Congress could fix this with, you know, a law like laws trump rulemakings makings, so Congress could, you know, say no. This is not what we want. We want to, you know, protect all these these smaller bodies of water. So, you know, we have a like action alert up on the Outdoor Alliance website right now with a blog post that Kevin Colburn wrote explaining this pretty well, um, and you know, make it easy for you to write to your members of Congress and explain why this is is you know bad for kayakers, bad for the environment, bad for people. So,
0: why do you think this is? I mean, it seems like everybody would want clean water. Where's the sticking point with this? Why is it? Why are they rolling back I mean, these protections?
2: I, I think part of it is, I think when you know, the, part of the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act relates to uh, filling wetlands. You know, wetlands are. I think for a long time, people in this country just treated wetlands as if they were, like, a nuisance, right? Like, it's like, it's a swamp. It's, you know, there's mosquitoes. It's, you know, not someplace I can build. And so people wanted to, like, fill wetlands and turn them into, you know, buildable areas or sort of, like, economically productive areas. And as you know, the science became clearer about the importance of wetlands for water filtration for water ha- or for wildlife habitat, you know, just like the hugely important uh, ecological function of wetlands, flood control, Amazing. flood control, right? Like there was just more and more of a push to protect these places. And that creates some headaches for uh, builders. I think who would like to, you know, build houses or whatever it might be in areas that, you know, might qualify as, as jurisdictional wetlands, so I think, you know, that, like the housing industry, I think is a big uh, proponent of these efforts to roll back the the scope of jurisdiction. Um, you know, I think similarly, like ag the agriculture industry freaks out about these a lot, but I've never quite been able to wrap my head around substantively what their concern is because the, you know, the, the, uh, the exemptions for agriculture, you know, originally and in Obama's rulemaking are like so robust. Like, you know, like agriculture return flows are pretty much entirely exempted from from regulation under the Clean Water Act. So like if you, you know, put a bunch of uh, chemicals on your crops or whatever, and then it rains and all that runs off through ditches back into rivers, like, like that's basically unregulated. so i don't know what more it is that those guys want there but uh you know the uh like big ag has been a big opponent of clean water protections um yeah and i mean i was talking with uh with bob nasdor about this at american whitewater the other day and like you know we're talking about like like you know like the little white right like it's it's 50% 50% of the, the water coming into the little way is groundwater. And, you know, like if it's flowing underground, like I don't think that's regulated anymore, but it's like not entirely clear. Like, so what does that mean? Does that mean that you could have like a like fracking wells up there? Or, I mean, I just, I don't know. And like, it's the same with like, like I think about like the Blackwater is kind of like, you know, classic Creek around in West Virginia, and it's all just draining all those wetlands coming, you know, out of Canadian Valley. Like, how much of that is jurisdictional now? Like, don't know. And, you know, I think, you know, the argument that industry always makes for these sort of uh, changes is they want, like, regulatory clarity. And, you know, I think that's a legitimate complaint, right? It's like people want to know what the law is, and, like, that seems like a fair thing to ask. But I don't think this change in in the scope of jurisdiction provides that. It just moves the line, you know, the, the gray area where we're arguing about what's in and what's out to a place that's, like, significantly less protective Hmm.
0: yeah i don't see this actually uh i mean but if you're a builder or something like that you're still got to be pretty hesitant about starting a new project that could interfere with this rule because i mean who knows what's going to happen as far as like what the rule is now and an official permitting or is it like as soon as this rule was stated if you're a builder. You're like, hey, that's a dried up ditch.
2: I can go in. I'm ready to rock. That's, that's a good question. I mean, it, the rule is final and goes into effect in 60 days, hmm. but I don't know how you would, uh, how you would like, like calculate that risk. You know, from a business perspective. To be honest, I mean, given that that this is going to get litigated, I don't know. You know, it's hard to see that this creates any more clarity than what the Obama administration did
0: it's a big one though i mean how many creeks do we all
2: paddle that at some point are dry you know yeah so yeah no it's uh it's not good Yeah. yeah
0: the river i always go to just that i've paddled the most right here is the french bra just right near my house and it's crazy 66 percent of the days last summer it was too dirty there was like a swim alert we have this swim guide thing and it was too dirty i can't imagine this uh helping with that i don't know man this one hit me i saw some headlines i was like what is going on and i fully obsessed over this one for like two days called people i blew you guys up with emails i just it was a nice i know
2: you probably know more about it than i do at this point man like i'm sorry i feel like that was sort of a disjointed explanation that it's like you know the details are are extremely complicated but the broad contours are pretty pretty straightforward yeah yeah i know for sure
0: Anyway, that's a good one. If you uh you know, get on the Outdoor Alliance email newsletter for that. There'll be updates and whatnot coming for coming our way there. I think everybody wants clean water, so I don't I just can't imagine you know, I just can't imagine it holding that all of these streams and riverways that only run after rain could be taken out of that that just doesn't make any sense to anyone who understands gravity but anyway we will see
2: yeah yeah I mean it's just so it's like I think things like this are so infuriating right where it's like you know the overwhelming majority of people I think of whatever political stripe like want you know swimmable fishable rivers right and it's like but then there's you know some some well connected deep pocketed industries that have a lot of influence particularly over know industry like administrations like this one and i mean what they're counting on is that people just you know don't care that much and so you know i think it's like uh, kind of on us to like put a cost to these kinds of things for for politicians that support them
0: there you go org. get on the email list and uh yeah i think there's going to be a lot more news about this one coming up in the future whoo where do we go from here man Come on, there's only one subject. What? EJ. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Okay. Come on. Our last episode, we spoke extensively about a Facebook post that EJ had up there. And pretty much I think all of us agreed you couldn't help but look at that post without thinking, you know what? This is this is this is a teaser for something coming up. I think we all agree with that, and so we put it out there—a little conspiracy theory that EJ would be starting another kayak company. Ring a ding a ding ding! Apex Kayaks is now a thing. What are your guys' thoughts on this? <laughs> That's all you got?
1: I mean, where, as they love to say in podcasting, how, where do you? This is a lot to unpack here. <laughs> <laughs> So as far- okay, right right off the bat my first question is under what circumstances is EJ leave Jackson Kayak with no NDA and no non compete and you know I, he points out at one point where he's they're not competing with Jackson um, now where did and you see Supreme this Ambassador. but I I don't buy that for a second. This is a, this is a million dollar company with a, with one of their people leaving to make more kayaks and to say that they're never be competitors that, that doesn't make any sense to me.
4: Right.
0: Well, I kind of tend to agree with you there.
1: I mean, may, th- th- to be clear, there could be very, there could be something I just don't know or understand about this and that's perfectly reasonable, but I'd like I mean, to also, know what
2: that is. To be clear with people, what it, it sounds like this is
1: composite fishing kayaks and that's it, right? For the moment. It's not called Apex composite fishing kayaks, is it? <laughs> and by the way, there's an Apex Boats, which makes, which makes gigantic you know, motorboats, like apexboats.com or something like that. That would be another legal uh, question for you, Mr. Geltman. I believe the
0: website is apexwatercraft.com.
1: Well, I'm just saying, but I mean, the whole idea with the trademark is that there's no confusion between brands. Right? I mean, it seems to me that's a pretty... How's that going to play pretty...
0: out, Lewis? Mm-hmm. Did you go to law school? Yeah, that was a long time ago. You are a lawyer, aren't you?
1: Ish. Interesting. Well, this is going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's it's sort of been, how would you call it, a soft launch. It's almost like there's leaks of information coming out and... And and whatnot. So it's been it's
1: been kind of frustrating to watch, to be honest.
0: Now, why do you say that?
1: All right, let's just let's just suppose EJ's asking my advice, which he's not. <laughs> Nor would he. <laughs> right, but let's just suppose I'm in that role. Right. Let's not forget that EJ's first kayak company was called Jackson Kayaks. Right. Okay. He named the company after himself. Okay. Now. This speaks specifically to EJ's strongest suit, his his best ability, which is not kayaking. He's a very good kayaker, right? Not designing boats, right? He had David Wells help him, with, you know, to do that, and a number of other people. Right. Uh, he's not sitting on a ton of money. EJ's number one skill is self promotion, right? Uh, and, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, right? That's not necessarily a terrible thing. He's not a snake oil salesman type self-promotion. I put him more like the P.T. Barnum School of Self-Promotion, where he builds excitement. But a lot of it's about him and what he's doing, right? And when E.J. ran Jackson, or when he was involved with Jackson, at least, you know, he was very keen on pushing his metric of ha- being number one on the merit of market share, right? Which is not... A reasonable metric for a business. I mean, market share has no bearing whatsoever on the profitability or the quality of the boats or anything. It just says that you've thrown up enough money at this problem to be number one. Like IR could could spend ten million dollars of X person's money and make a million different dry suits for people, but that would not mean that we're profitable or we're going to make a go of it. That that market share thing is really more about EJ talking about his ability to grow his brand, right? which once again before we start talking about how much I'm not hating on EJ this is this is just the way I see it right and this is a valuable skill in certain circumstances so EJ starts this this, this new venture and right away he's on this this thing about I don't know if you read the post you guys read the post and sort of followed along with the press releases and stuff like that uh,
0: I feel like I've missed something in there because there's things you're talking about that I don't feel like I know
1: well it's just a lot of a fa- like an epic founder story EJ struggle oh, okay okay his, okay his perseverance, his ability to push through problems, his, you know, his skills It's a lot about EJ, which is fine. I understand that. But if I was in charge of marketing with him, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This you're entering a very, very difficult field, extremely difficult business to run. You need to be really focused on, you know, having the best boat designers and the best you know, the best money, the best economics have a real CEO in place here, be really focused on a product thing and and not be so much thinking about what you yourself are bringing to the table. I mean, does that make any sense? I hear you. I just think EJ, let's suppose EJ has a fantastic opportunity here to start a new boat company with his, his own set of rules and his own vision. Right. Um, and for the sake of the sport, I, you know, we have to say we'd love to see him succeed. Right.
0: I'd love to see some carbon kayaks filters in just, the market out there
1: for no other reason to be like, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible to, to make this work. Right. But I don't know that, you know, it, it's not just, it can't be just about EJ again. It can't be, you know, a cult of personality, so to speak. He, he, he has to do this right. I'm not saying he's not, I'm not saying he's not capable of, I don't want, I don't want people saying that I'm hating on EJ because I like EJ a lot. He's not a bad guy. And And to underestimate what his company did for the sport of kayaking for many years, despite the business model, you know, you cannot you cannot trash talk that.
0: I mean, we don't know. He may have a whole team behind him at this point. Oh, uh,
1: well, <laughs> we've heard talk about the team. It, we don't know enough about the team to really speak on one way or the other, right? But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting team. I don't know. It, it's true. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know.
0: Yeah, we don't. We don't know exactly
2: everything, but. <laughs> It's going to be interesting. We, we always to...
1: know exactly everything. We just, <laughs> just
2: have to decide how much you can reveal, right?
1: <laughs> but does that make sense? What I'm saying is, I, I don't, you know, Jackson, I, I don't want this new venture to be a, re, a, a, a a rehash of, of you know, EJ, you know, the Air uh, Jackson show.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: my take. T- what you're
2: saying, especially getting into something where it's like, like you know, high-end, if high-end composites is the market you're going for, the story you want to tell is probably not so much the founder's story, it's the story of the product.
1: I'm absolutely a person who believes in the quality of product, first and foremost, right? That we're making a fantastic product. And the second thing is is that it's going to be a solid business, that we have the economics in place. The The one thing that's fascinating to me about this is that he says at one point that he got the money from a bank. I, I think it was in the, the thing that Paddling Magazine put together, but you know, the money's coming from himself, evidently. Um, at least for the time being, I don't know how long he can run on that. Unless he's one of the, the very <laughs> one of the unicorns that became fabulously wealthy in paddle sports and he has money to burn, which I don't know is the case. But um, you know, hopefully that will uh, keep the ship running straight. My take is,
0: I'm with you. I'd love to see. I'd love to see it figure out a way to work. You know, there's not high end. Well let's just talk about fishing market. In the fishing market, it's essentially plastic rafts. I mean plastic docks, you know, is what the boats are. There's no performance characteristic or anything like that. It's it's moving towards like a kayak is no longer a kayak, it's essentially like a like a plastic John boat. I believe there's a company out, a plastic kayak, company called Johnny Boats. Or something like mm-hmm. that. So you know he's got a unique tilt here in the fact that he's 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 coming up with carbon fiber. I'd love to see it actually work. See what they're all about. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot more that I'd love to share about this right now, but I
1: feel like I'm going to. It, I should not do it. So I'm gonna. Well, let, me, let me let me let me question this way. We have an we have an inkling of of some of the people jumping aboard on, on this project. How long before they make a whitewater boat?
0: I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that the team that with the rumors are true that we're hearing that's in place, them not making a whitewater, butt. I mean, would you guys agree with that?
1: Yeah. I, I, I would see it as an irresistible project for this, for this group of people. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. <sighs>
1: I don't know. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch this unfold. <laughs> <laughs> when the if, if and when this team gets announced we have to organize an emergency hammer factor
0: okay okay yeah we definitely can do that um we have, you oh know, man
2: what what do you got with us <laughs> nothing i'm just nothing <laughs> all right
0: oh we got to get bobby on I the show
2: I, I just i can't wait to hear from the abrg on this topic
0: yeah, he's going to be the only one who can really kind of set this whole thing straight. If, in
1: fact... He's going to give us a real clarity on this issue that I don't, I think we're lacking right now.
3: Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, you're right. We don't have the skill set to provide that kind of clarity. Okay, I am going to work on getting Bobby, Bobby Cooper on the phone, Lewis or Weld. Can you do a quick introduction?
1: Well, Bobby, Bobby's going to have to fill some of this in, but... Uh, Bobby was part of CKS uh, in Buena Vista, Colorado, which was probably certainly one of the most important whitewater retailers in the country uh, forever for 20 or more years. Um, And he was involved. I'm not sure at what point he jumped on board. If It was before Chad and Earl split the business up into Main Street and CKS Online or afterwards. But when it did happen, Bobby went on to uh, run CKS Online with Chad, uh, and those two um, have since dissolved that business. And now Bobby has gone on with CKS Online to its new owner, uh, Hala, which makes stand-up paddleboards. And how that, well. Bobby could probably explain more about that. And, I, and when I say Chad, it's Chad Gorby uh, was one of the partners, the original partners of CKS, whom they bought from Stolquist, by the way. Oh, uh, Jim that Stolquist was a started, long time ago. Yeah. Jim Stolquist started Hello? CKS as sort of a vertical... Correct if I'm wrong. CKS was started with by Jim Stolquist as sort of a vertical manufacturer slash retailer sort of uh, thing, right? Yep. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Did you... Did you join CKS before Chad and Earl split up? Were you part of the team then? I can't remember exactly I, how that all went.
3: I came there as a uh, sales associate, and Chris Menges was taken off. I actually replaced his role just as an employee, and then after like five years partnered with Chad and Earl, five or okay. six years, something like that. Right. And then, uh, yeah, Earl split off and took the retail store and, and sold that to Brad and Megan, and Chad and I had the, um, the online for, for five years or however long, five or six years.
1: Right, so your 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 uh, experience in retail goes back quite a ways in power sports retail.
3: Yeah, we when we were a brick and mortar and e-com together, um, I think from when I I wasn't really there for it, but whatever year before I got there, the drought, they had some rough times and they needed to do uh, you know e-commerce sales to offset not having any local sales, and so that kind of drove Chad to find you know we use this uh, program NetSuite, pretty robust back end that. Worked for a while, and um, that's when Mangus, I think, got started doing some marketing and some online kind of stuff, and then I had, like, a marketing background, so came in and was doing, like, the blogging and uh, Facebook and then, you know, sales in the shop. So, yeah, all up in BD, and then lots of changes and throughout the years, trying to adapt to the times.
4: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think the kind of premise that you're here, that, that we brought you on, is that there was a time when paddle sports retail and the health of paddle sports was better than it is now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's gotten worse. Right? I mean, we're yeah. under agreement. There are people well, out there hang, who disagree we're with we're that. Good, well, hang on. The case. Let's let yeah. Bobby
0: explain that. Let's not put words in his mouth. We're going. We're well, I would
3: think it. what you're saying is pretty accurate there, though. <laughs> I mean, you've been around for all that, too. You got to see the, you know... The, not that I haven't been to Paddle Fest in a couple of years, but you know the old, old days. We have different
1: perspectives on on what went wrong, and that's what I think we need to hear from you. Like, how did this how did how did this go awry? Like, what?
3: Well, you know, my micro universe was the e-com business only. You know, and uh, one thing that I think hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, when we split off with Earl, we lost the brick and mortar presence. You know, and you talk about like who would ever sell kayaks you don't have to worry about, you know, two hundred and thirty five dollars freight out when you're selling both out the door and, you know, so your margins are better there as well as uh as well as free ways to acquire customers, you know. So we kinda lost that uh grassroots presence where people kind of just saw us as an online retailer and all of a sudden we're competing with backcountry and Amazon and um free two day shipping and free shipping on everything and twenty percent off and just, you know, competitive times and uh So that was a big thing, was was the brick-and-mortar part of it. And number two, like you say, uh, you know, retail margins on paddle sports equipment suck. We're not manufacturing, so we don't have the double margin or triple or whatever. So, you know, boats are... Quadruple.
1: That's what what we're pulling in. That's bigger. Yeah.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah. Lucky to get 35 these days on a boat, you know, 40 on gear, and then you figure in, 10% Ten percent marketing and sales staff, and ten on shipping, and then they want twenty off, and boom, you just broke even. So, yeah, right. There you go.
0: How are you dealing with those two challenges you just mentioned? That's
3: well, um, you saw how Cks Online dealt with it. Um, you know, required to make some changes, and times got tough. You know, it was like almost a hail mary at the end. We knew we needed to do something, and. Hala, you know Peter was a friend of mine uh, and of BV before the the sale, you know, the Huontala. But they do everything. You know, they have a retail presence in Steamboat, where there's a good, it's a cool river town. You wouldn't know it because it's covered in snow ten months a year, but you know, it's, it is rafting and all that. Um, Fish Creek, yeah, exactly. Gore, Fish Creek, the Elk, Yampa Date, Town Run, the play park. Um, So that. And then uh, he's got the manufacturing capabilities, you know, so factoring that in and just pretty obvious stuff, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, just, you know, boutique NRS kind of stuff because they're doing it. Um, But that was kind of the idea. I mean, there are other components as well. They're pretty tech savvy. And since they already have the um, infrastructure with Hala, they can use kind of, they call it the synergy, you know, where some of that staff to um, work employ CKS as well, so the overheads down. So that's the theory, um, and then you know slowly start making stuff and see what happens. You know. But,
1: so just to just to be make sure that people understand what happened here. So CKS, the the one entity broke it broke up, and, and one part became CKS Main Street, which is a brick and mortar store in Buena Vista. CKS Online became. They just sold stuff online. You guys, CKS online was not allowed to have a storefront. You guys were just an online business, right? And this was you and Chad. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. And, they then, were yeah.
1: and for the reason you described, you know, you guys were really struggling there for a little bit and it's kind of, what are we going to do next? And Hala came in and took over CKS online basically. And now you're, online now only. you're yeah. just online. And CKS Main Street is continuing to do what it's doing. Yeah, Brad and
3: Megan on that and
1: crush it over in VV. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So.
0: And so you're in Steamboat and do you, is that where you warehouse all your stuff? Is that where your inventory's at? Yeah.
3: Yeah. We have a warehouse right next to the hollow building. A, uh, yeah, it's like 2000 square feet and, um, kind of doing, uh, more with less, you know, kind of trying to leverage drop ships and even with kayak manufacturers and, you know, and just whatever we can do to, to minimize our footprint here and, ultimately increase the net at the end of the day you know and see how that works part of it's an experiment you know nobody really knows how it's you know it's not like you're saying the whole time it's grim in a lot of ways but in other ways there's you know some think outside the box
2: so is it it's sort of your theory that kind of the way forward is like you really need like kind of all those elements like like the the brick and mortar presence, the online presence, and then also be manufacturing stuff because the things that you're manufacturing and selling, you're able to get a higher margin on.
3: Yeah. You know, I I think, you know, just talking to Pete briefly this morning, you know, uh, his take is, you know, we have to create the demand ourselves, you know, for paddlers. And I know there's the, you know, paddle sports are growing anyway, but demand is paddlers becoming customers. So with the brick and mortar and rentals and, events and partnering with, uh, instruction in town and things like that. Um, you know, Earl was awesome at that. He always said that, uh, creating, um, people to paddlers, like one, one person at a time, you know, and just kind of doing that and you get lifelong customers that way. And then, yeah, the manufacturing, I don't know all the details on the margins and whatnot, obviously, you know, you know that there and I, but, um, yeah. And sure it's better than you know what we've got and uh then you control the whole supply chain yeah you know down does a good job of that you know but the, the right. problem
1: that you're saying though there's only four of us out there who could be manufacturer retailers right you're not talking about a nationwide network of retailers you're talking about four or five companies that have the wherewithal to do everything you're saying
3: yeah yeah so is that exactly. I mean, is
1: that a solution or is that just sort of like we're just going to take care of ourselves and oh. just and not worry about it
3: or you know even kind of thinking like the whole um, you know how to keep local retailers in business and that's something you know that's just kind of a ongoing conversation you know um, even kind of back to the quivers days the omnichannel, channel um you know where where people fulfill orders if so they use the you know the reach of a business that's online that has a lot of reach and um, fulfill directly from local retailers so that's that's something. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's one thing that's cool with, with Hala there, you know, Pete thinks way outside the box with ideas, you know, and I've known that for a while and in a good way, you know? And so that's part of it. You know, it's not just like a black and white, at least for us, it isn't like a black and white answer. There's all kinds of projects and ideas and, um, even just sticking to the core, which is we're all paddlers here. And we really like getting people the right gear. Um, and fun to see someone get stoked on paddling and uh, then they come back and purchase again because these days it's kind of hard to get, you know, solid customer service on the phone. I look at other industries, you know, like bikes and skis and whatever and how few retailers there are. I can call someone up and, you know, actually get like the advice I'm looking for, you know, versus like, yeah, those are on sale. They're pretty sick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <so, so. laughs>
0: You know, what you guys are doing is very similar to, you know, outside of Whitewater, but what uh, Bass Pro Shops did several years back when they acquired Tracker Boats. You know, why do you think it fell apart when it seemed like it was doing so good? Like, what do you think? Like, yeah. The, yeah, well, yeah, CKS. And pro, and CKS is not, you know, CKS is, there's a lot of companies, retailers out there like CKS. Yeah. Um, we
3: were, we were asked by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, that was it to the extreme it wasn't like one thing it wasn't like oh shit there's this you know bank loan that's it it was like you know say like four years ago FedEx this we used to make money shipping boats this is a great example you know we charged 39 bucks on boats I think it was like $15 straight out then it was like oh we're losing $20 a boat 30 and then it was $167 for oversize with FedEx ground and we're still charging $69. Then FedEx just canned us they said no more boats go ground it's freight only you know and then that price is going up and so um, that's a good example right there so we cha- increased shipping to 199 to offset that you know and guess how many boats we sold then not very many uh-huh. then there's all the other four essentials you know so someone's gonna get a discount on whatever and we're looking at great example looking at green jacket sales well guess what they're lower too because we weren't selling the additional whatever it was, thirty or forty kayaks. So that was like a big thing. And um, there's definitely answers with that, you know, consolidating with freight carriers and using, you know, putting more work in there. Um, but like that type of stuff, and then uh, manufacturers selling direct. Um, some market more than others, you know. But we've definitely seen less sales from certain brands, you know, that are that are pushing a little harder, or giving better deals or whatever it is. And like you said, pro forms, you know, that was a big one. I think of like how many stand-up paddle customers we used to have. And like literally everyone is like an ambassador or a pro paddler now or whatever. <laughs> everyone. And you know, so yeah, it's just kind of thins out. And so I think it's just, we would say that we'd be like, Oh yeah. So what is it this month that's going to happen? You know, and then something good happens, you know, good snowpack or something like this year, you know, we're off to a good start. So, sold a couple wrap packages this week you know so people are like fired up for a long mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. Like, good and bad but writing was on the wall there you know we saw some some major shifts happen then amazon and backcountry are the big ones you know we got to ship for free pay to advertise and that's it you know and yep. so 20% loss of a sale right there
0: what's your take on the trade shows you know uh, paddle sports leaving the outdoor retailer show then the show in oklahoma and now the uh um, the big, big gear show.
3: We're not going to the big gear show. I don't think, um, I know everyone I talked to pretty much dug the Oklahoma, you know, scene there as far as what was going, kind of a, I talked to Taylor at Warner the other day and just, you know, agreed core community, you know, there and having the water obviously was really good. And just nice to have that smaller room with, with people you recognize and, what not? so um that's kind of i think our take here on that and from most people i've talked to but i know i don't think Hala. i'm not sure if they're what their plans are with that either but uh,
1: yeah we've been talking a lot about well i've been talking a lot about the necessity to raise prices on paddling gear to make a go of it what do you what's your take on that
3: yeah i mean how yeah i don't i don't really personally like the bike to uh boat analogy i don't really get so much because they're just not apples to oranges you know how bikes are really people will pay for it because i do see a boat as like a piece of plastic and ultra fuge is so similar to a boat these days you know that it's not hasn't i don't know biking 10 years ago is a different sport you know it's like things evolve quickly so but i can see i mean yeah or even just evolution of technology you know you talk about that like what can you make that's new that you can charge more for or you know, materials or I know very little about boat molding, but, you know, can you injection mold Kevlar in boats? I don't know. Or just anything to, but you're going to have to, I mean, otherwise we're not, we don't make money selling boats. We lose money on many boats. It's the loss leader for other things. It's just what it is. And, right. you know, we own them outright. Yeah. We make the money cause we've already paid, but it, like you said, who would actually sell kayaks, you know, and it's like something's got to give there. And so, yeah, $1,500 kayaks, the way to do it. I mean, I think the analogy
1: with the price increase for kayaks isn't so much that they're the technological wonder that mountain bikes are, but because there's so few participants in kayaking, they're just yeah. going to cost more for that reason. Right? Yeah. Um, they just need to be in that price range because there's so few of us out there paying for a really, you know, at the end of the day, cost, it does cost a lot of money to make a design and prototype and everything else, a whitewater boat, right?
3: Yeah. A lot of our customers definitely call, you know, and they have like, a guy yesterday had a riot, I forget which one, but it was pretty, you know, it was a reasonable boat for learning for play boating or what he was doing. And I was thinking, you know, other than the outfitting, there hasn't been this like massive change to the industry. You know, I bike a lot more than I kayak these days, so I see that. But, um, you know, versus like 10 years ago, again, just seeing like where it's gone, it's
1: unreal. You know, I don't awesome, know I mean... Too, but- I mean, Galvin, <clears throat> would you want to hop back in like in a perception matrix and run the green or run the little white? I mean, you guys I mean, are be they're the
3: one percenters on that. You know, we're not selling to those, you know, so um, not. Yeah, whatever. But
1: well, nonetheless, I mean, we've gone. I mean, IR has gone from, what, 300 retailers 15 years ago down to, I don't know, a third of that in the past 20 years. Right. There's people going out of business. There's yeah. just no, there's just no money to be made. I don't. The ecosystem is and is is gonna have a real problem unless something happens, including you. I mean, including you guys, right? I mean,
3: but people are still out there, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. Sure. Just gotta,
1: yeah. I mean, this participation isn't the problem for sure. The problem yeah. is we're losing money selling bows.
3: Yeah,
0: Bobby. Some some of the other retailers that I've, books, that I've that I've talked to and worked with in the past. What do you uh? Do you do the buying there at CKS? Are you the buyer? No,
3: I do not. I do, I we're all we're all kind of like a little bit involved with it, but we have a buyer here. Yeah. Do you, do you have
0: any experience or the insight with like a boat manufacturer requiring you to take in the entire line of boats if they're going to open you up as a retailer?
3: Yeah, we do. I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, Matt
3: right we speak. Yeah. <laughs> to me,
0: that always seemed like the best way to handicap your retailer's cash to make them buy boats they know aren't going to sell how do you I mean is that your thought or am I just out in left field with with my thinking there
3: yeah I think it's something we're working on right now with some brands exactly that how to uh, like have a risk-free plan you know that works for both parties and so yeah, I well, agree completely.
0: Well, I mean, there's always going to be risk. But, I mean, if you have an audience, you know, if you know anything about marketing, <laughs> you have your audience, you know what they want, you communicate with them, and you're in the business of giving them what they want, and the manufacturer's just like, yeah, 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 you can have what those people want, but you got to buy all this other stuff, then you can't reorder the stuff that they want. You know, your money's tied up in the hub like, yeah, how you-
3: Yeah, even stocking, and that's what leads even to um, – you know, and I guess I'm thinking more from an e ecom perspective, but you know, drop ships versus stocking inventory. You know, display everything online, it's free to do, and then just ship itself. You know, versus like you're saying, inquiring a minimum order quantity of whatever it is, and um, potentially be sitting on that, or if there's a drought or something beyond your control, sitting on all of it. You know, and but that oh, you know, doesn't really it... work well for the for the manufacturer
1: at all. But so. the manufacturer, if you guys are just gonna drop ship our stuff and not carry it, we don't need you. You know that from working at exactly. all if nothing else. Well right? I'm not saying not do it. We a don't minimum. need you guys to drop ship stuff for us. We can do that fine on our own and keep all the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somewhere in the <laughs> middle. Yeah. What we need what we need retailers to do, right? What we need retailers to do is to is to share in the risk of inventory. Right? That's yeah, the only way it's gonna work. You, but you, you can't select their, their inventory. The manufacturers no, can not. Select.
0: I mean, you can have a minimum no, order, like a dollar value, but when you start dictating the line that they buy, I mean, that's just bad for everybody. You're
1: talking, you're, you're talking about a, a, a few group of, of people usually run by a new CEO that's coming in with a brilliant idea to f- force-feed their customers. Uh, I don't know. I've heard a
0: lot of complaints. Am I out in left field on this, Bobby?
3: I mean, now, but there's also like not that many different boats these days with brands because it's diminishing, you know, so I, it's not huge, you know, I, I think. Plus getting, if you do get it for demo pricing, you know, if you do that, at least there's a little bit better margin to play with and it's in stock in the retail store. So we're not paying 200 bucks to, sh- you know, ship it. So,
1: but, but as I was saying, what we need a retailer to do, and we kind of had this for a little bit for, for a few golden years, is like we're making 2021 products right now. Right? We're ordering yeah. them right now. Like we're doing these things now, like literally in the next couple of weeks, we're in twenty twenty-one. And you guys have no part of that, right? But we need you to get back and part of that for you say, okay, how are we gonna work together to sell these things? Right. And if we had that kind of dialogue, you know, we would have no need to sell direct, right? But the the way things are moving on our end, and feel free to yeah. get done with us to explain why many, why retailers are getting screwed by manufacturers. I know you guys are. But where we're moving now is we're moving to these trade shows in September. Right. When what I, everything I have for 2021 20, is either going to be at IR or on a boat coming to IR by September. Right. And then all these retailers want a risk free proposition where they can send stuff back. And I'm like, honestly, do whatever you want, but I'm going to have to open up these direct sales channels to make up for this. I have to right and that's not a functioning relationship that's kind of a a, yeah everyone everyone's grabbing money where they can get it type mentality which is not servicing us well at all
3: well with your products i see it too as uh your stuff sells we sell through it and so it's you know we're able to buy it we're sitting on a bunch of it right now and i ship Klingon on a lucky charm today so we're in the middle of winter so it's you know it's like economic darwinism with us with this stuff you know we we buy what you know and those brands are the ones that you know get through most of the everything we stock these days sells through otherwise we're not selling it you know and so i don't see that as as much of a risk, you know, if they both are different because they're so expensive to ship. That's the problem. I think the
1: point being is that, you know, there was a time maybe in 2002 or three or four where we go out to a retailer and we have 60 or 70% of our business wrapped up in preseasons within a month or so. And we knew exactly what we were going to sell for that year, like almost down to an item, you know, coming into September, October. Like it was a known fact. And we wouldn't dare sell direct with that kind of relationship, right? We just wouldn't do it. Why would you mess with that? It was a great arrangement. We, and there was a time where, as manufacturer, to be honest, I'm kind of confessing here that we thought we're going to sell direct. And it's going to be a honeypot. Like we're just, it's just going to be, we're going to, we're going to make money hand over fist. But the truth is, as you know, selling direct has a tremendous amount of expenses, and it's not. And it's not really what we do. What we want to be doing anyway, we want to be making the stuff, not necessarily selling it. We'd rather have you guys take care of that. Um, and I think there's been sort of a. a, a at least on our part, understanding, you know, that, geez, we've really kind of, you know, thought that this direct selling business was going to be great, but it hasn't been. I mean, our profit margins have not changed at all in 20 years, right? Yeah. Um, anyway.
0: Why doesn't Holland make a yeah. packraft?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Is Peter back
1: there? getting one? on. Let's figure out when we're going to get a packraft. right.) <laughs> But now, look, so flip it around. So what are manufacturers doing to screw retailers?
0: I mean, come on, you gotta know you're selling direct, you know. I see Google ads come up from certain manufacturers above, you know, the search results for the retailer in their markets. There's a million different things that I well, I should keep my mouth shut. You tell us, Bobby.
3: Well I mean that's just it. You know, it just depends on the level of marketing. If you uh you know, subtly just have a buy now button and that's it. That's one thing. If you're dumping a whole bunch of money into social media marketing and sales and Google ad placement and Amazon, you know, you can you know, it just depends on the level of, of uh whatever intensity they're marketing at. So but I get it, you know, if you have a third of the retail pool that you had before, you gotta do something. So do you
0: carry Jackson kayaks?
3: We do, yeah.
0: What what's your thought on their online sales model?
3: Um, too early to tell really, you know, um, we don't have in the off season, the demand for any boats, you know, isn't really huge. We do sell boats, you know, the rewinds definitely getting some attention for sure. But, um, the, um, it'll take a while to see how it, how it shakes out. I think, you know, March through, through, uh, end of summer, and we're we're going to remain a retailer and are working with them on, you know, on the program. And yeah, they've been a partner since day one, you know, and uh, try to keep it that way. So.
0: Did you have to bring in all their fishing kayaks and all that? And do you sell no.
3: those? No, no, nope. no. We, in fact, right now we're just doing whitewater and um, may have, cause steamboats a little bit. We had a couple of fishing last year, but it's not really what we do so much. So, but we know we definitely don't. I think the the worst of that, you know, would be bringing in a Zen and Nirvana, a rock star and a um whatever what else to make it now. And so that's you know, those are easy to sell at the end of the year. So will not be too worried about that.
1: What do you think about EJ and his move out of Jackson into Apex?
3: Curious to see. Like you were saying, what he what he it's Whitewater or fishing or whatever it is, uh composite fishing boats or yeah definitely be interesting to see
0: do you think change it do you think you could sell a composite whitewater boat what What do you think your price yeah. point you could get away with selling a good composite whitewater boat and what model would projects, that be whenever
3: remember the, remember the project what was it project x 54 came out the, the composite was like two gallons bigger we sold a few of those things to some dudes up in pennsylvania and a few to japan and not a lot but demand was there you know and that and then the uh carbon jet i think we sold a few of those and were you getting a margin Again, on those you, well yeah it was dollars. so you know 30 on that is a little better plus shipping back then was better but um yeah i mean it seems like it would be pretty pretty thin you know the, the pickings of who would buy them but maybe if there is some noticeable performance differences that people could actually get out there and feel and you know through retail that's another cool thing with brick and mortar you know uh, they can tell that they're paddling a better product and and uh, can you know be a better paddler in whatever way hopefully they buy it then
0: hmm. you mentioned the used boat market earlier um, talking about like the ultrafuge or what not do you dabble in any kind of trade ins by your used boats anything like that
3: used to and it was super solid because it was a guaranteed margin you know it was uh take a boat in and you give them store credit or sell it on consignment and keep 30 percent which is solid with no freight out and i think we're talking uh, cam actually works here he used to work at cks maine and we we're just talking about that about doing that again as well as a great way to get people into paddling or even just selling boats you know and so um that could be a, a really good solution for brick and mortar and yeah. If this
0: if this price fixing thing comes through that Weld's talking about of raising the prices on everything, I think the used market is going to become pretty integral especially to people starting out and whatnot. I mean, if you're like looking at 16 1800 bucks for a new boat, you know, a $600 used boat's going to start looking a lot better.
3: Yeah. So. Like all the other market. Look at skis, you know. Like 1200 bucks these days for some some skis and, you know, it does it makes you look at something used and Third the price, half the price, and just as good, or close to. Yeah, no.
0: Interesting to see how it's all gonna. It's all gonna shape out out, there.
3: Hmm.
0: Well, you got any plugs for CKS? Any deals going on? Hammer Factor Nation, twenty percent off. (laughs)
3: Don't,
1: Don't stop. (laughs) <laughs> Free shipping on all boats. Free shipping on all.
3: On all. That's a promo codes for real. We, we throw these <laughs> promo codes out and get like ACA people calling you know with their code. But besides yeah. that,
1: not a traction.
3: We got like we had so many calls for that. That was great
0: for the Hammer Factor <laughs> promo code.
3: Yeah, we'll turn that back on. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about the terms for that when we get off the line here. <laughs> um, well, I don't know, man. I don't. It's interesting to see. We've been talking about it for I don't know how many shows here. You know, I've definitely. Some of the things with retailers that I've spoken to sucks having to get the whole line. You know, I know that there's some people who have got stuck with fishing boats and all kinds of various things to bring in boats that they know would sell. And then they've got, you know, $10,000 stored up in inventory that they have to get rid of. Obviously, a big challenge is manufacturers selling direct. What else do I have? Trade shows. So you guys aren't going to the new trade show?
3: I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah. on um, the um, uh,
1: How about uh, you guys gonna go to OR? Down in Denver? Yeah. yeah. Um me and the one going on right now? Well, summer show. Summer show now.
3: Maybe. Actually, yeah, because it's close by, so probably. I I haven't checked in with them on the You
1: guys but you guys won't you guys won't have a booth there. Like Hollow won't have no. a booth there. I don't I don't think so, no. What's gonna be like Hala's trade show of the year, or you're just not gonna have one?
3: I, I'm not sure, I, I do 95% CKS. I drop ship Hala. that's about as far as I get in with that. And so uh, I work with those orders, but I don't, I'm not really in the loop with their marketing strategies so much. They're in a different building, so I'm not exactly sure what their focus is on, on this year. I know they have some really cool new stuff coming out. Um, Super progressive things, but besides that, kind of yeah. I don't
0: believe. Hmm. Well, tell Peter I think a, a pack raft should be the next line. I will. So, Hala <laughs> worked on this boat that the boys tried. The the U.S. Uh, rafting team tried to yeah. break the record, yep. huh? Yeah, we've yeah. got we've got John on the show here in just a little bit. When we get off, it'll be interesting to talk about
3: that. Cool. Yeah, saw some pictures of that. Looked pretty
0: cool. Well, boys, do you have anything else for Bobby that you'd like to get in there?
1: Not really. What's what's the retail? What's paddle sports retail gonna look like in five years?
2: What's your prediction?
1: Like, what's it gonna look like five years from now? Who's gonna be left, or what's gonna be happening? Is it gonna be booming. We're gonna have all a whole new world, or what's what's the, uh, or is it gonna be just you and backcountry? (laughs)
3: <laughs> hopefully something hopefully something similar to what was going for a couple of years it seemed like there was some traction there so that's what i would hope you know yeah. people like people like you and taylor that i talked to that have some some input you know on a board that's what i'd like to see is people that really care and give a shit that are that are out there making stuff happen you know like you said Like people that love kayaking and want to see it prosper instead of not the you know whatever's going on now but um, that's what I'd like to see personally.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would too. I like us all to, to make a decent living. That'd be the first thing, right? Not have to worry yeah. about <laughs> money every second of every day, you know?
3: Yeah. Start yeah. Off.
1: What's Chad doing now?
3: Growing industrial hemp. Yeah. And managing it. Yeah. He's like the chief technology officer for this big industrial hemp farm in Arizona.
1: That's uh, like you, a startup. Did he move out of Salida?
3: Nope. He's in Salida. He does that remote. And, um, Heather's doing a lot of graphic design there. So they're busy and doing well. And Earl's up in BV, being Earl up there. And, yeah. <laughs> Is Earl the mayor? Uh, might as well be. He should. not be. the mayor, but, yeah. Yeah. He's the, uh, Head of Recreation up there, I think. Something like that. Which is,
1: um, that's the mayor in BB. (laughs) Those are synonymous, yeah. Yeah. It's still in Hood River in that sense.
3: Uh, I texted him this morning for a soundbite, and I think I got back from him. uh, What did it say here? BB, where white trash meets white water. (laughs) (laughs) And don't suck.
2: Uh, (laughs) Oh, God.
0: Well... Thanks for coming on the show, Bobby. We'll have to have you back on at some point. Any new cool. developments? And, uh, yep. Yeah, super interesting on.
3: Thanks.
4: Thanks, sure. man.
0: Thanks, Until Bobby. Bye. Bye. So, well, do you pigeonhole everybody into buying, like, all kinds of different stuff that IR makes? I don't How think do that's you do as
1: it? widespread as you're, as, you, as you're imagining it to be. I know people do that from time to time, but I don't people that, that that those programs don't last very long for obvious reasons It's just
2: hard for you to imagine that that whitewater kayak manufacturers have the leverage to impose those sort of terms on retailers like it seems like the power dynamic would be the opposite
1: well jack i mean jackson will come in and say like you can't you can't be a retailer unless you carry 100,000 dollars worth of boats or something i mean will th- that does exist and they're like you're just you're just not worth our time unless you're you're that size dealer
0: and it's not even that simple. They won't say you have to have a minimum order of X number of dollars. They'll, they'll, they you know they make these weird sit-on-top boats and these sometimes, pet, use it, sometimes. the thing and whatever but, and
1: yeah. But that's not that's like I said. I don't think it happens as often. You think uh, it's not a conspiracy. It's real. <laughs> it is Easy real.
0: Happens. It is real. Pull up the listener mail. Let's move into some listener mail. Oh, boy.
2: Where should we start? Should we start with these retail ones? We're to start with Steve-O.
1: Are we all sick of retail yet, or do you want to read Steve-O's email? Go into it. Read it for me.
0: I'm, I'm, I've am I'm. got some communication going on here, which could be a backstory to something that we can
1: talk about right now on the show. Steve-O runs the paddling program at Kaleva, which is a paddling camp, sort of sprawling, mark conglomerate of ideas. <laughs> it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what Markov's are doing from one moment to the next. Matt Markov, by the way, one of the Markov heirs to the throne or however they organize things over there is pitching this Whitewater Museum. Have you been hip to this? I am. Yeah. Sounds cool. His heart's in the right place. There's no question about it. However, uh, you know, Kaleva always has about 10 million projects going on at once. Right. Yeah. They're like, we're digging the world's largest hole. I'm like what? They're like, no, no, no. That was last week. Now we're building sustainable cement. We're like, who? I'm like, no, wait, no, no. Now we're doing we're feeding the entire population of Poolsville on our farm. I'm like, what farm? They're like, no, wait. Now we're <laughs> it's hard to keep up sometimes.
2: But this is why the Markovs are so great. because 'cause they're, indeed they're not that's, they're that's not beloved. daunted by naysayers like John Weld. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <laughs> right. You you could not have said that better. That's right. Without people like with the the Markovs, it'd be a very gray and boring world. Anyway, Steve runs their paddling program, and he he wants to point out this revolutionary idea. I'm putting words in his mouth. He they have this this method <laughs> of selling boats. We're, this is what he says. We are a store attached to a kayaking school. We do things pre-informal. People are often picking up new kayaks in my house in the middle of the night and leaving money in my shoebox. Things like that. But I think this is the only way that selling kayaks can work. We have no physical store, just some shipping containers with kayaks in them, so overhead is low. We sell Jackson, Pelican, uh, parentheses, Dagger, Piranha, Walk and Liquid Logic. Margins are low, but we make enough for it to make sense. Um, I, uh, You have to see it as a service to our students. Um, you know, when the other two power sports, uh, shops in the area went out of business, there were, there was nowhere people to get kayaks. Um, and he says, I think that a as a retailer having stock in a store, having employees managing a shop and everything else that goes with a typical shop is what, uh, will eventually kill that shop. We do a lot of pre-orders, bulk orders and low risk type purchasing. Right. So here's the thing. For many years, and I, I think it's still the case there in paddle sports and certainly now in to industry at large, a manufacturer will not open you up as a retailer if you do not have a physical storefront, right? And the reason is, is the temptation to become like Jeff Pricel, uh, who ran Rocky Mountain Kayaks up until a couple, I guess they're they're phasing out now. And Jeff, I love you, but you know you were the, this character. Jeff had another business. He was a a, a car mechanic or something. And uh, he brought in containers full of kayaks, and he, he sold them to his buddies at 10% above wholesale and literally ruined the entire retail market within 400 square miles of him, at least, if, if not thousands of miles. Ruined it because everyone knew you could go get a piranha boat for him or whatever he was selling for next to nothing, right? Um. And he put a lot, you know, he put enormous amount of pressure on a bunch of quality retailers, right? Because he didn't give a, he didn't give a shit. He's like, I'll make ten percent on a boat, or I'll make nothing on a boat. I don't care. I'm a mechanic. I have an income other ways, and, and that's kind of what Steve O's saying here. Um, and you know, and the reason I point this out is because Steve O posted a Facebook post the other day talking about Warner paddles, and I was getting a shipment of Warner paddles in, and this this Facebook post kind of made the rounds at IR. Where he was kind of saying that, you know, we're getting the shipment of paddles in and if you want to if you want to get a paddle, he didn't say this, but he was implying if you want to get a cheap, you might want to come give us give us a uh, give us a call. That's fine. But once again, you know, you're you, selling stuff for as cheap as possible is not the best thing for this industry. I don't know how else to, to put that. Right. It's not a sustainable ecosystem. Um, you know, we need quality retailers who who run a quality retail store, who have a large variety of products in stock. You can come in and a staff and everything else involved with that. And this kind of thing undermines it. This isn't Steve O's fault, and he's just you know he's doing what he what probably makes a lot of sense for them, but it's not the the best choice to make.
2: But it uh, is also like I mean, it's a different a different angle on sort of doing what you're talking about. You know, since the beginning of this conversation, which is like having. A retailer, like I think you're thinking about, it in terms of having like a traditional retailer that's then you know doing instruction, getting people into the sport, building relationships with people, helping people like select the thing that they want, and it's like he is kind of doing all of that stuff, but it's Indeed. like the re- the retail is a tack on to the instruction rather than vice versa.
1: Well, I think the way to phrase this is that with stevo's model right and you're right he Kleva, to be fair helps a tremendous amount of paddlers in that area i mean they are a true resource to that area and just to, to say otherwise is, is completely false i mean don't get me wrong here but the temptation with stevo is that they will throw msrp out the window right um if stevo could hold msrp uh on these boats i think it'd be fine it would create a sustainable ecosystem you, you know he'd be part of a sustainable ecosystem when he's blowing boats out at cost, um, there's literally no incentive for anyone around him to sell those boats for for quite a ways. People will go a long ways to buy a boat for three hundred dollars less than 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 their local retail store. Right? But I don't think that's I mean, that's not what he's suggesting
2: is the the model. I mean, I think he's just talking about keeping overhead super low and recognizing that the way you deal with really low right. margins is by not making that you know, the integral it's like that's using right. the retail to support another aspect of your business.
1: Right? I agree with Lewis on this one. You could be right. And he he did not in that Lewis Facebook post. Right. He did not say he's he's blowing out, Werner paddles at cost. He didn't say that. You know, it may have been implied, but he didn't say that. That's that is true. And there, he did not say he's blowing boats out here at, at at rock bottom prices either. However, that's typically what happens in these scenarios. I guess that's the best way to put it. And That's why many manufacturers will not sell to you unless you have a lot of overhead that forces you to keep MSRP. You know, you you need that you need that discipline to keep MSRP in place because without that, you will just begin to sell boats at, at wholesale or slightly above wholesale as a service to your your bros.
0: Yeah, but that's in a healthy retail environment. I mean, that that's got to be so out the door with what we're dealing with. I mean, if you listen to the past several shows, the old rules of the road are not.
2: Yeah, really I mean, I guess now. that's what's interesting is like I feel like you know like what Steve is talking about is one different model. It's like I feel like like what you want Weld is to like fix the old model and what these guys are talking about is sort of like, like workarounds, right? Like, like Bobby was talking a bit about having, you know, like the retail integrated with the online retail integrated with manufacturing and maybe that's like a viable path forward. And what Steve was talking about is just, you know, cutting overhead radically and making it sort of like a side piece of a different business and, You know, I I see all of your critiques about all, you know, how why all these different models are not super viable for creating a healthy ecosystem. But like, I don't know, maybe it goes back to like Chase's comment from a while ago that, you know, people are just going to have to experiment and, you know, things are going to shake out and what it looks like in the future is going to be something different, but it'll arrive at some sustainable equilibrium or something. I don't know.
1: Right. I mean, he, right. To me, the thing is, is the, the, is the MSRP? He has to, you know, he has to maintain retail pricing. If he does that, I, then I think it's more power to him. Do you right? have, do I you, think if he becomes if becomes if he becomes a chronic discounter, that's where things become a problem. It's not sustainable for him either, because at some point manufacturers they're sick of listening to complaints from other stores about this guy being a chronic discounter. And then manufacturer's like, you're just ruining the retail, you're just ruining the market value of our products by doing this. Once again, I'm not saying steve is doing that, but that would be my one concern, is that that's where this is headed, I guess, to, to, to rephrase it. Steve-O, I know you listen. If I'm dead wrong, and I usually am, or in many cases I am, come on and let me have it, or write me an email, or whatever. <laughs> Do you ever ask,
0: uh, offer discounts on your gear,
1: Weld? We do. We try to do it as responsibly as possible. Like we would never put co- current year product stuff on sale. When we do put stuff on sale, we, we, you know, we have a guy on our staff named Max Blackburn. His job is basically he's the advocate for the retailer. That any decision we make at IR, he takes the position of the retailer, and he's like, you can't do that because of this. It's going to screw. It's going to screw us up, right? You cannot put these products on sale until we give every retailer in our network a chance to buy these at a discount first. You know, I think that's that's, and we don't we don't do huge Google ad. Buys and we don't you know if you search spray skirts we're not doing paid ads at the top of every search list and that kind of stuff yeah no doubt but and and Klavis sells our products too right so I, I you know um i would you know encourage them to lmsrp on those as well anyway steve-o come on listen if i have this all wrong and like i said i probably do yeah let me know
0: i don't know i just i tend to agree with steve take here on it and I don't know, man, it's just like such a tight industry. It's so small. And I just think that grassroots, I mean, it just may be an industry that's the size where that grassroots mentality is what wins the day.
2: It is notable that, that, you know, the retailers in DC have gone out of business. And I mean, I think, you know, the challenge in DC is obviously that like, like overhead is going to be extremely high, but also (laughs) if there's a, if there's a concentration of, of, you know, like, ton of kayakers with you know more money than most in like a relatively tight area you know like that's actually like a pretty hard place to beat and it's like if retail can't succeed in DC like that seems pretty notable
1: but I would point out the cast of characters that have tried retail in DC it has it's it's a soap opera it is the <laughs> weirdest situation do you remember Steve Popkin oh yeah I mean starting with that right I mean, it's just a weird place. But you're right. That is a very good observation, and one which is very vexing to retailers, right? Because for many, for many, or for manufacturers, for many manufacturers, DC was a, a crucial market, and it just completely fell apart. It completely fell apart. And, and there were people out there who would point to Appomattox as, the, as one of the culprits, right? And Appomattox was, and, and they've, they've come around in the past few years, but for many years was a chronic, chronic discounter. And it was extremely hard to survive selling boats in the D.C. market, right? Because you could go to Appomattox and get it for hundreds of dollars less.
0: So, I could tell stories about Appomattox PeopleNet. You ever hear about the PeopleNet that Appomattox had? Ah, off topic.
1: App- Appomattox is a different store right now. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't well, want to go into that. I don't want to go into this that is, one. He's going back
0: should we talk about Matt from Four Corners on live broadcast instead of trade shows?
1: Yeah, I think listeners are getting sick of trade shows, but. Yeah, I'm kind of sick of trade shows too. But
0: basically, Matt, you know, essentially says um, Matt Gerhardt, uh, managing partner at Four Corners, he says, in regards to this discussion about trade shows, um, he talked about using digital assets as an alternative to traditional shade. Uh, trade shows as a retailer, the allure of trade show has diminished severely over the past decade, especially for more focused shows like BSR. What once felt like a large industry gathering and celebration has atrophied into a fairly mundane and outdated way of connecting retailers to manufacturers and vice versa. Um, uh, is that what you see? I mean, as someone who's in the media business, I'd love to see everybody go to uh, webinars and whatnot, because I could juice that thing up for you like nobody's business.
1: Well, I think I think that's what we're going to do because it's a good plan B. I don't think it's a good plan A. I think it's a fine plan B, and that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, what you miss at a trade show, you know. Where'd Geltman go? I don't
0: know, but well, can you remember ten years ago me saying? That this is going to go digital. Trade shows are going to go digital.
1: Well, and right. You said so, no. I mean,
0: that'll never happen.
1: Too much happens at a trade show than just a product presentation. Right. I, agree with I would that. point. I would point out. A a product presentation is always better in person because people like to sit in a boat. They like to feel a dry top. They like to see the features. They like to try stuff on things you can't do online. Right. For all the right reasons that a brick and mortar store is good is the reason why you don't want to do a video chat. You can see the stuff in person. Additionally, as a manufacturer, we see a ton of our suppliers at Outdoor retailer zipper people. Velcro people, fabric people, all these things, in addition to the huge host of industry meetings that go on there as well. I mean, it's a clearinghouse of a bunch of different things besides a, a simple product presentation, right? But I think, right, in, in light of the fact that our trade shows are dissolving here, then, of course, this is what we're going to be doing, and we're going to have to deal with everything else around it. Uh, the, the woman from OIA wrote, a, I, th- I thought, a very compelling piece the other day about why auto retailer makes sense. Um, Did I get this one? Don't Lewis and sure. I were talking about earlier and yeah. I thought she was 100% right on all these reasons but once again we're getting to an area I think that most of our listeners are probably sick of hearing by now
2: yeah I mean basically it was like a piece on snooze and you know pointing out that you know a huge part of outdoor industry associations budget comes from the trade show and you know like everybody whether or not you know and everybody in the outdoor industry I think has a vested interest in seeing Kauai succeed I mean those guys are you know in DC lobbying on 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 tariffs for example which is like something that affects everybody in the outdoor industry and it's like it's not interesting it's not sexy Weld is not going to hire a lobbyist to go to DC and talk to like the the US trade representative about China policy but like you know OIA needs money to do that stuff and it benefits everybody you know in addition to all the other um, you know things that John points out that go on it at OR that are are you know some maybe sort of a sidelight but are still important like there's value to you know even from like a public lands advocacy perspective and you know getting people together a couple of times a year in the industry like for us you know those are you know companies that are you know funders of ours companies that have brands that are are, are, you know can be employed for advocacy around conservation stuff like there's there's value to bring people together I think
0: you know what I think you should do Weld
1: here we go. You
0: know, just to just to assert yourself as an industry captain, captain of industry.
1: Hmm. I think that you should, should get, start a new trade show.
0: I no, absolutely not. I think that you. I mean, hell, if some, if the group of that we round up wants to pay me to do it, I'll broker it. But someone <laughs> needs to go and collectively bargain their way back in to the trade show.
1: As a retailer, would welcome us with open arms. I mean, that's they'd what love I'm to saying. Have us back. Go
0: in, yeah. get get a good rate. You know, contribute. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. On the sidelines, are... if you guys are out here in this la la land of, you it doesn't matter. The stores will come. The stores want to have a they, good time they too. They'll come. Yeah. B- build it, and they I will come.
1: Know. Right anyway, in. Let's right let's in. If
0: you're a retailer and you listen to the show. If paddle sports retailer found a way to make it or if, if all the paddle sports manufacturers found a way to afford to get back into that trade show, would you come out and visit them? We'll take a survey. I'll put it up on SurveyMonkey. We're going to figure this out. I think that's the best idea. That's a solution. The splintered, fragmented patchwork of.
1: We eating. need to get a hardcore brick and mortar retailer on here to put, give, give some common sense. <laughs> tell us what's up oh man Bobby's kind of living in this world where he's in between online and manufacturing and stuff
0: we'll get Tony Miley on when Tony gets back from Hawaii he said he wants to come on he has seen it for years and years and years and years Tony some, around the I want
2: to get some kayakers on to talk about kayaking Can
0: what do that next Not time
2: ever did we'll get, you we'll get we'll get back
0: to that we will get fully back to that I don't,
2: I don't want to talk about QAnon anymore I don't want to talk we'll, about the we'll fully get back to that anymore <laughs> Let's, let's, let's get somebody on who's like gone and done something badass to come I, on. And I tell have to us about
1: say, I, I have to say, I think Geltman's right on this one.
2: <laughs> We've gone off the rails. We've like right. just gone down this like industry rabbit hole and wandered off into the, the political nether world. And
1: we got we got to get back to the roots. All right. <laughs> Can we talk about Caddy in her shorty dry top.
0: Yeah, bring that on. That's a good one. We got just a couple minutes here, and we are going to bring on the captain of the U.S. Rafting team, John Mark Seelig, here in just a few minutes. So anyway, go ahead, Weld.
1: Caddy, straight to the point, which I appreciate. Thank you. Number one, are Shorty dry tops worth it? Am I wrong thinking if it's warm enough for Shorty dry, uh, Shorty, why bother wearing a dry top of any sleeve length? Right? Why not make Shorty dry tops? Galvin, do you ever have your own Shorty dry top before? I've not. Me neither. Rice? No. No? Right. I like this I like this email because it, it brings up a pet peeve. Not a pet peeve, but something that we deal with as a, as a soft goods manufacturer. People ask us for a shorty dry top. Here is the problem with shorty dry tops, right? A shorty dry top costs almost exactly to the penny the same amount of money to make as a full-on dry top, right? However, no one's going to pay $425 for a shorty dry top or a shorty anything for that matter. And so people see the price tag. And so manufacturers make these things and they're like, ah, oh, we cannot sell this for $425. We're going to sell it for $275. That seems like the right price for a really expensive shorty. And at that point, everyone loses money. That's problem A. And that's the big one. So it's a non-starter from that one. The other thing is is they make these latex bicep gaskets for many people cut off the circulation of their hands. Their hands turn completely dead, stone cold, numb after about 10 minutes because the bicep gaskets strangle you. But I think the idea with a shorty dry top is it keeps water out of your boat, right? Like if you're doing yeah. a really aggressive blade boating, it keeps water out of the boat. It's not for warmth or anything like that.
2: But it's not a,
1: practical to make.
2: If I were a squirt boater, I'd have a shorty dry top.
1: Yeah. And we could make them. We could sell them for $425 because that's really what we would be really designed for. But no, one, no one's buying a $425 shorty. Nobody. She also says, any right. advice for smaller paddlers and fully grown at 115 fed up with uh, garbage, 100, uh, 80 pound, or 100 to 180 pound paddler weight range of some boats. Right. So you get away with a boat that's weight ranges between 100 and 180 pounds, which is laughable. Right. <laughs> it there, is totally laughable.
2: If there, if there are two meaningless statistics that get attached to kayaks, it's one, the recommended weight range, and, and two, the volume. the volume in gallons. <laughs> Neither of those right. things mean anything. So just. Stop paying attention to this. I would love
0: to see a manufacturer just be like, We're not doing that anymore. We're just not doing it. I mean, I guess they have to, but it's
2: meaningless.
1: Especially when they said the boat is good from 100 to 240 pounds. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing you could do. There's there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Someone has to make a boat from the ground up for women paddlers (laughs) or for 115 pound paddlers, right? But who's going to do that now?
0: Uh, I don't know. Maybe Apex kayaks. I have some news that just came through my smart technology hmm. about Apex Kayaks.
1: Uh, oh yeah, we're releasing Zola's names.
0: Team. Yeah, so we have. So I have some new new data here. Some new. Break, uh, is this breaking news? This is breaking news right here on the Hammer Factor for sure. So it is in fact a team of eight people right now. It is not just EJ. It is a it is a team of eight people working on the kayaks two of the members our audience will know well steve fisher and pat keller are on the team at now work for apex kayaks so that is that is confirmed that is a confirmed thing so that goes back to what we were talking about earlier that yes in fact a whitewater boat has
2: got to be in the future here it's a lot to unpack (laughs) it's a lot to unpack it is a
0: lot.
1: <laughs> so well, let's it's... just take it on the surf. Let's just look at the surface of the thing. Steve Fisher, famous whitewater kayaker, right? Yep, yep. Been in the industry forever. And Pat Keller is a boat designer. I mean, he, he designed boats Liquid Logic. Among others, he designed the, uh, the BRAP, right? Yep. <clears throat> so, what I, I mean, one I mean, creden- of my favorite there,
0: boats of all time. There's credentials there. For sure. So that adds a little bit to the mystery of Apex Watercraft, in my opinion. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes down. But let's move on here to John. John Mark Seelig, captain of the U.S. rafting team. Um, John and his team recently. Did you guys follow this at all? Am I the only one that found this fascinating? <clears throat> because no one
2: ever got back to me about this.
1: These guys are trying to break the speed record for going down the Grand Canyon
2: yes i want to see the boat is that and this has been in the picture of this? And this
1: is of any boat not just raft this is any self propelled craft is that right exactly so i mean grace you mentioned the idea other a few years ago and this is the best one is you wait for one of these hundred thousand cfs releases and you get a dr boat and you just ride the lightning
0: yeah but unfortunately you'd have to poach that you know so
1: you couldn't broadcast your success is what you're saying
0: I think that you would probably be in trouble if you actually crushed it doing that, which I think is definitely the best way. Um,
1: let me see if I can. Could... But a raft can't be the fastest craft, right? And what, what's the what's the what's the thinking here? Like I don't I'm, I'm missing something. Well, let's let John answer that. Absolutely.
0: John, are you there? Hey right there. Here we are. Yeah. Oh, all right. A yeah. little bit of a delay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Sorry about that. Um, no worries. On the show, uh, we have John Mark Seelig. Am I saying that right, Seelig?
4: that's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep.
0: Um, captain of the U.S. rafting team, whose team just attempted the speed record down the Grand Canyon from Lee's Ferry, and that goes all the way down. Where did you guys take out?
4: We took out a pierce.
0: Took out but a pier. The dude. actual,
4: <laughs> um, yeah, um, the the actual record is actually about two miles above Pierce Ferry why we still don't know it's a really random location that it's kind of always been the the location that people have had that spot um, it's called uh, Grand Wash um, and so it's it's a very confusing location but it's an incredible spot um, but we always take it up Pierce Ferry and hopefully we don't float past that location if you guys have been on the Grand Canyon Um, luckily we weren't so tired to where we didn't have the ability to eddy out at the takeout because Pierce Ferry rapid now is pretty gnarly.
0: Well, John, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in whitewater and, and how you started this quest.
4: Yeah. So, um, I've been captain of the U S men's rafting team for, I guess, eight or nine years now. I owned a rafting company in the, in Colorado for years and years. I still have a small ownership in that. Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, I, I've always loved water, been around water my entire life. And then I was actually became a guide a little bit later in life and, um, and didn't, and didn't spend much time kayaking until later. And so it was really odd, I actually was asked to be on the U S men's rafting team and that day I blew out my knee and had like a six year, Uh, stent of having just major issues with uh seven knee surgeries and other problems with just my entire body was shutting down at like 29 and so for about six years there uh wasn't able to even paddle with the guys and thought that thought that ship had sailed and uh, expected to never really competitively you know, be in that realm ever again. I thought my life as an athlete was over. And what was interesting, um, uh, I became a a trainer and started training people a little bit and got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the guys were like, hey, are you still interested? Stepped in um, and started paddling, went to New Zealand for my first world rafting championships. And then I've traveled all over the world to just incredible locations that have just been um a blast and what happened was um we we kind of continued to paddle with the international rafting federation and um no one knows anything about rafting and when we had spent some time with some some of our sponsors like chaco and yeti and nrs um they were kind of like "Did you guys want to do some other stuff too and we're like yes we want to do some other stuff that's not just Uh, international raft racing because raft racing is interesting because you have four different events and it's incredible. There's, you know, multiple countries that come to these events, but no one has any clue what we do. And we were at the point to where we're like, you know what, let's step outside and kind of get into some other realms of water experiences. And so um, we were the U S national rafting team, but then we stepped into this other place of becoming the nine ball waterman. And, um, And mainly it was an avenue for us to take some of our sponsors through some other experiences that we wanted to have and so we got into outrigger canoe paddling and then we got into this whole grand canyon thing um and we are continuing to do just canoe paddling um we have a bunch of other endeavors that we're always trying to take on so long and short of it is that we 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 love water we didn't want to be completely limited to just raft racing and so and we thought honestly that that some of the other things that we've been doing have been a lot more interesting to most people um and interesting to us and we wanted to kind of kind of challenge ourselves beyond just paddling in a raft with six other guys so
2: what what um, is the uh yeah. what's the format for raft racing like when you go to the yeah yeah, so on the international stage, there's
4: four different events. So you've got a sprint event that usually lasts anywhere from a minute and a half to two minutes, uh, and that seeds you for the next events. And so the next events are head-to-head, which is pretty—it's it's actually extremely entertaining and and really, really hard. But you have two boats. Um, now they've changed the format a little bit to where you have to go around buoys. You can hit each other, um, and then you have a slalom event. Um, where you go through gates through class three, class four rapids, um, very similar to, you know, kayaks slalom. just the gates are a little bit wider. And then you have a downriver event uh, that typically goes, you know, it's around a, anywhere from a seven to 10 mile stretch. Maybe, you know, mainly typically they want the the race to be anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour and a half. So it kind of tests a little bit of everything. Um, where you've got to have power and explosiveness to be able to handle sprint events. Um, the one that we struggle the most with is the slalom event. Uh, that's probably our toughest event because we just don't, uh, America's not known to be big slalom uh, boaters in general. And um, finding locations to actually train that is really hard, especially in Colorado because we don't have um, year round water um, if we were maybe on the south do the East, it'd be a little bit easier, but yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. So can I, can I back up? Real, kind of, oh, sorry, John. Yeah. So when you were having these health in, uh, health problems and, and your body was falling apart, what brought you back real quick? Sorry to get off topic here, but I'll forget if I don't bring it back.
4: I, I just, yeah. So I, I think I just didn't want my, and I, and I, have said this actually in one of our films, I didn't want my life to leave like be over. Like I was like feeling old, and I was like, "No, I've, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not old yet." Um, and now you can see the gray in my hair and, and my beard, but um, but I think at when I was around 33, I was like, I even though I'm kind of old, like I could still compete with some of these people, and I think I can kind of do this. And so it just took a long time for me to actually um, figure out the right training methods and try to figure out I've got the, you know, I, I think I can gain the technical skill to make this happen. Um, I just got to make sure that my body's not going to shut down. And so, um, I had to be able to figure out, I mean, gosh, for three years, I never would get in a boat without an e brace. Cause I was just so terrified of having another injury and then I had to get over that stuff. I had to say, okay, I've got to figure out how to train intelligently and train, not like I'm in, in my twenties anymore and figure out, uh, the best methods and so I started spending a lot more time in the gym um, and working on skill when I'm on whitewater but you know it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I didn't want to just crush myself all the time in water and then not be able to do the sport that I love to do that um, I had to kind of get a little bit better balance
0: okay cool I, I <clears throat> sorry I wanted to touch on that before we moved on um, yeah. So, when was your first attempt at this record? You guys decided you wanted to do something out of these competitions, and when was your first attempt?
4: Yeah, yeah, that was in January of 2017. Um, Seth Mason is one of my best buddies. We kind of came up with this idea, and, and I hadn't even read the Emerald Mile at the time. I just knew about speed runs, um, and even you know Kevin Fedarko. I've actually we we've, we've become Acquaintances, and now the book is incredible. If you haven't read it, Um, Emerald Miles—a really good history of speed runs and people, and and just going through the Grand Canyon with any type of craft—and and and it's a great history of West and water, and um, so it kind of that book continued to stoke our fire once we read that, and Uh we realized okay, this is something that we really want to do, and we want to be challenged on one of the best rivers in the world. We want to be challenged um, one of the longest distances that we've ever paddled or rode, and we realize that paddling isn't going to be a great option, and so we're like, well, we've got to make sure that we figure out or create some type of boat that will work for long distances um, and will actually be able to take the magnitude of – you know, rapids in the Grand Canyon, and um, we've got to figure out. We wanted to do it all together because we all paddled together, and we realized, okay, um, let's do this experience together yeah. rather than doing this individually. You know, just in kayaks, which we, you know, that's that's always an option. There's plenty of people that have done speed runs in kayaks since 1983, and we didn't realize until a couple months ago. Um, uh, Brad Demick, who is a boat maker. Um, and Flagstaff that makes a lot of dories for, for people. He's done it for years, and he's got to be in his late 60s. Um, he's a fantastic guy. Pointed out that we, there's only been two speed runs through the Grand Canyon that have not been kayaks since 1983, and he said, and those are you guys. And he's like, you know, he, you guys are total idiots, and I think you're crazy, <laughs> but I think um, he said, you know, you guys have actually – inspired people in the Grand Canyon community that it could happen like you could do it in a non kayak type of craft if you get innovative enough and you get creative enough you could come up with you know something that could be incredibly fast and could you know and could beat the kayakers
1: so to be uh, clear you're trying to beat the speed record period regardless yeah, of craft type self propelled speed record yeah. period and who currently owns yeah. that record and what was he, she, they, what were they paddling?
4: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and since nineteen eighty three there was a there was a group called Team Beer um, that actually broke the record. We know Team uh, Beer. They, are you guys part of you guys part of that world? Mm, did, I'm did you guys ever did some of you guys from the southeast, I think, even try to do a speed run um, even right before they made one happen? Um, and they actually had some trouble early on and ended up they ended up attaining back upstream, which is crazy. Um, but so these record holders are really interesting and and um, it i so there's been this history throughout time. so team Bierce beat it um, and then, oh my god, how am I even forgetting I just met with him just the other day.
0: And they were in kayaks. They are you were talking about in, Ryan Casey and that crew? Who did it? Or are you talking about Ben Orkin, who holds the record now?
4: Ben, sorry. Yeah, just, we just met with Ben the other day. I can't, I just totally blank. when I was it off. Um, so, Ben Orkin um, is a guy from Colorado that um, had done, you know, Canyon Pride six times. Um, he actually gave us a little play by play the other day. Um, he was incredible, super friendly to us um uh he sent us a message before and said cheering you guys on i'll be tracking you the whole time when we finished he said man you guys really were it was really tough water levels i can't believe you guys kept going um he's just a fantastic guy and so team beer beat it and i think they were in the 35 hour range um and then they sent ben orkin their time and i think he went three days later um, and didn't even know that they had beat the record, um, which he said, "I'm glad that they let me know because I probably wouldn't have paddled it as hard because I was just, I was just trying to break the Emerald Miles time, which was 36 hours." So, so he he actually had some pretty major issues in Lava Falls. Um, his his he didn't zip his zipper his his pee zipper um, and went through lava, swam and through lava and his 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 suit filled up and he had to contemplate for about 45 minutes if he was going to continue to head downstream or not. Listening to him think about the methods of how he was going to actually get the water out of his dry suit because he was like, do I cut the feet? Because if I swim again, I'm in big trouble or do I just so he like, he brings his feet up above his head and tries to dump all the water so I get through his neck gasket. <laughs> Um, and, uh, <laughs> so, so he, it was really cool listening to some of the details and even him going to Lake Powell and hanging out for three weeks before he actually made the speed run because he couldn't find a place to paddle in Colorado cause everything was frozen. And so he just trained his ass off and, um, he's a pretty, pretty special human. And, and even the whole time while we were in, uh, the grand Canyon, we're just like, this guy did this by himself. <laughs> like we, we are sitting there it's kind of like the worst type of peer pressure you could ever put yourself in because <laughs> like you're sitting there with you know seven other people rowing through the grand canyon and you're you're just like well they're keeping going i guess they'll keep going too i mean it's just absolutely miserable um like putting yourself through anything for 38 hours is, is without sleep is, is brutal and um so our goal was to beat the full record and take take you know and and get under 34 hours that 3402 was the um below that was our goal we even looked at our timelines before we so we have one of the guys on the team seth is you know he has this timetable that would had every water speed throughout the grand canyon you know all the details as far as what was going to happen you know at each um, location and then we realized five days before, I was like, Seth, why why, why are we doing this? (laughs) Because we knew the water flows are gonna be significantly lower than what we did in 2017. In 2017, we had amazing water flows, you know. What kind of flows do you have? Yeah, so 19,000 CFS was the average water flow. Um, And in this one, we had about an average of about nine or 10,000. In the first run, Perfect water flows. We were terrified the entire time, totally out of our element, rowing this thing that we've never even been tested. Um, and the boat broke, and, you know, in lava. We were about two hours ahead of time to even beat Ben's um, time. Uh, so that was, that was a bummer. Um, this time, I, I don't like the idea of having a boat break. You know, you just feel very, like, unaccomplished feel like there's something that we felt like we left something down in the Canyon. Um, and so this time we knew like, let's do it again and let's try it. Um, this time, at least water flows, we can't control, you know, that's stuff that are totally out of our control. And so even in the first six hours of this second run in just this January, we were right on track within the first six hours. And then we were like a minute behind three minutes behind because what was happening is we try to start, we, we put on around, the first time we put on at 11 o'clock, this time we put on closer to midnight. And we're trying to ride the bump of the water flows. And so the water flows, they'll release a bunch of water in, in the Glen Canyon Dam and then we'll try to stay up on the hump as long as we can and try to catch that flow.
0: But you'll pass that hump, and, correct? I mean, yeah, you, you, exactly. You pass so this
4: eventually pass it. We'll, we'll try to actually catch up to two days before release. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan is to, you know, stay on that hump when the water's not as fast and the gradient of the Canyon is not as fast. And then we actually get on the backside of that. And so we're on the low side of the water flow. So we're, you know, gosh, seven, 8,000 CFS, um, you know, at the beginning of the water flow, when we're on the top of the hump. We're at fourteen thousand, and then we end up, you know, around seven or eight thousand. Do you think so that? Then if, when we get, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No. You, so, so when we get through the inner gorge, when we get through the inner gorge, the gradient picks up. So the idea is like, okay, well, the gradient picks up. You know, we could pick up a little bit of speed through that area. So we're still kind of hanging on, um, and then as soon as we get through lava, everything just like felt like it came to. Hold. How so, far behind were
0: you at lava?
4: Oh, by the time we got the lava, we were hour and a half behind, um, and that just continued to. Do you think if
0: you would have had the boat that you had this time, or the, if you think you would have had the flows that you had last time with the gear and boat that you had this time, you would have you would have made it?
4: No doubt. Yeah,
1: I. As a kayaker, I'm I'm completely yeah. confused as to how a raft is going to beat a kayak, and you have an answer for me, I'm sure. But to me, it seems completely—it's just like before I know about rafting, I'm like, there's no way a raft's going to beat a kayak. But yet, you guys are—you're in the—you're in the hunt, right? I mean, you're right there. What am I missing?
4: Yeah, and we we knew that we had to have more power because I mean, as you guys know, I mean, a raft just pushes water downstream. So we we had to figure out. Okay, we've got six guys rowing at a time one guy that's resting but he's not really resting he's just eating and he's feeding everybody else and then you have one person steering in the back and that guy that's the steering in the back is like it's on a sweep and so with an an inflatable with an inflatable boat you're like pushing water the entire time with a kayak you're actually displacing water um and so you can actually plane with this thing um it's almost, if you, if you guys have ever spent any time on a row machine, it's almost like you just pump up the damper and put it all the way to 10 and put as much resistance as possible. And then you're trying to row at a slower rate because you can't maintain to go at a fast rate for 38 hours. And you're trying to just maintain your body to resist this
1: so you agree with me. Yeah. There's no way a raft could... Can... Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I I think if it's the right craft, it could it could totally happen.
1: And you get the right Why do not go to a hard? Why not go to like a plastic catamaran or something like that?
4: We've discussed that and we actually spent we spent a lot of time in with some
1: outrigger canoe makers. Is to is the goal the, to just to do it to break the record or is the goal to do it in an inflatable raft?
4: Break the record.
1: That's but the goal.
4: The so, if we went to like a roto molded, you know, type of, you know, craft, mm. the expense would be uh, off the charts. Like, I mean, it, there's no one that makes that. And so we'd have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to actually
1: make a craft like that.
0: But there's no one who makes um, a raft like the one you paddled,
1: is there? Right.
4: Yeah. There's but no tooling you can involved. actually. How
1: about, like yeah, yeah. How about like a composite? How about like a composite? So that's,
4: that's the one thing we discussed. And we spent, um, the issue with, so we had a, we have, uh, sorry, Johnny Puakea, who's the designer for Puakea Designs, which is an outrigger canoe maker. He became a friend of ours. We spent some time with him in Hawaii. He had this entire plan. Like, let's, let's build this. Like I've, I've got, I've got what you need. We're going to use Kevlar. We're going to use fiberglass. We're going to make this boat be the same thing but it's going to be a displacement hole and will take hits with rocks i can make it strong enough to where it can make a a hit take a hit
1: right bingo
4: he was yeah and i and i think for the guys we the last run and having issues we it's really hard to control a craft that is 30 to 40 foot long and the likelihood of us hitting something at some point is really high. And I think all the guys were like, we were so close. Like, why would we want to change anything and change it to the point to where we don't know how this other thing is going to even be able to be vanished or even, like, how are we going to control something that might not actually want to ever freaking turn? <laughs> you know, so then we get something that's you know it's like a rocket ship and it can go really fast but now we can't even turn it in rapids or you know perfect example like what are we going to do at, at dubendorf or what are we going to do at you know bedrock or how are we going to get away from this at or make you know especially like it or even like at Hans, when you actually have to have to make some actual moves in the in the rapids rather than just some of the other rapids like some of the class fives are just set up good uh, so we, we really had to analyze and make sure that the boat that we were taking would resist and we didn't feel confident enough taking something that's um mm-hmm. hard and being safe. And we all have kids and, you know, or at least I have kids um, and wives and, and girlfriends. And we were just like, you know, is this the safest way to do Because we want to be smart. We don't want to be complete idiots. And we want people to can. Com- Continue to be able to do speed runs, and if we screw it up, and then someone's having to bring a helicopter and a massive crew to get us out of the canyon, and be you know, and then who knows? The force you, know, you know, the National Park Ser- National Park Service might say, "All right, no more of this stuff. Yeah. We're gonna put in the we're gonna put in the regulations that you have to be in there more than five days or something yeah. like that." Yeah. You don't want to
0: be that guy. It, to our listeners who haven't seen your boat, it's a catamaran style raft yeah. and you guys there's rows of three on each side you have six oars and then how long was your boat from how long were the raft
4: 39 39 39 foot um cat tubes and they are um, designed by Hala. um we used jack's plastic the first time um, and we went and spent some time with Hollow paddle boards, which they don't even make raft tubes. But we knew they could make something incredibly sturdy, and we knew their materials were great. And so we were like, okay, let's meet somewhere in between. The last boat was too too soft. This boat, um, you know, was really stiff. So we used actually we had carbon stringers that um, Hollow has this special um, patent for their for their boards where they put carbon stringers throughout the PVC tubing to give it some more rigidity. And so that was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, So they were awesome to us and helped us build this, you know, this craft. But we had to build the frame to go around it. And what happens is the frame itself, um, we have six guys rowing and they're rowing backwards, which is freaking just weird. I mean, it's really hard to row backwards when you can't even see the rapid. Um, But what happens is through the big class fives, the major rapids, two guys closest to the stern actually flip around so they can push and pull and they can rudder along with the steers in the back. So then we also lock our seats. We call it whitewater position. Uh, We changed it from hey because those guys would flip around and we said can we stop saying those guys are going to flip like in in general can we stop saying flipping that would be good. Um, So then we changed the term to whitewater position so those guys would flip around and they would push and pull, and then everybody, the other four guys are still rowing in that position. But we used um, a lot of material from Concept Two, um, which they make row machines and ski ergs and bikes. But their major, they started in the rowing world, and their oars are absolutely like almost indestructible, like fantastic oars. And we use those both runs, and they still look pretty impeccable. Um, we've, we've put those things through the ringer. And so what happens is those four guys that are closest to the bow, most of the time we're sliding on, you know, our seats are actually sliding back and forth. And so, um, just like a rower would, but when we go through the bigger rapids, we actually lock the seats in and we take our feet out of the straps. Um, and then we, we kind of stand up as you, as though you would like in a four volt. And are you straddling the tubes in this thing? No, the frame is in between the two tubes. And so the seats and the stretchers and the, the rowing, uh, rowing seats are in, in between. And so, but you're pretty close. I mean, to the other guy right next to you. So you're pretty tight to where you're about, you know, about a foot away from that guy, but it's a sculling style. So, so that you're on one oar instead mm. of using two oars. So you have a guy across; he's got one oar. You're across from him; you've got another oar, and you're 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 yeah. kind of actually in a twisting type of motion too, which it can be brutal for 38 hours. So,
2: um,
4: yeah. And what what's interesting about this crash, and and I think everybody's always like, well, what do you think about like why did you do it this way and, and we wanted to experience it together. Like we've, we've traveled the world together. We would come up with this, this is stupid stuff together. And it's like, well, we want to, we want to kind of enjoy all the suffering together. And so, um, this is the best way to do it. And, and there's moments through 38 hours where one guy's, you know, in a really bad place and the other guy's still going. And then the other guy's doing poorly now. And then you're just trading off. It's kind of like, You never want everybody to be crashing at the same time and, um, you know, trying to figure out at certain points who needs food. And we were pretty methodical with, um, you know, the amount of calories that we wanted to have, but no matter all your plans that you might have go out the roof. I mean, it, it, as soon as you get in through that major inner gorge rapid, like you're not moving. You're not really thinking about water. You're not thinking about yeah. getting food at that point, and you're just in it. And for the next four hours, five hours, um, so we have these rotations that we want to kind of do, um, but usually that goes um, against the plans later on. And then there was one time where I was on the, I was rowing for like six hours straight, and I really didn't get much food, and I crashed pretty hard. Um, so, but the idea is to try to row for two hours you get 20 minutes of break and then 20 minutes, uh, steering the boat. Um, we pulled in this time three grand Canyon guides that were just absolutely incredible people that, um, are endurance athletes on their own. A lot of them do the rim to rim to rim and stuff like that. And they are, they've had, you know, hundreds of, uh, trips down the grand Canyon. So excuse me. So their knowledge, um, of the Grand Canyon gave us a, a little bit of extra confidence this time. I, the first time I swear I was just terrified almost the entire time going, I have, <laughs> I have a wife and a kid. Why am I doing and, uh, and this time they gave us so much more confidence because, I mean, oh, the guys on the team, there's, there's three guys on the team that know the Canyon really well. Um, but there's nothing like having somebody that sees it that much. And so giving a little bit of extra confidence that we got from those guys was, was incredible. Um, but then also what it did was we didn't – the first time we felt like the Colorado outsiders, like, who are these guys? They're going to come try to break the record. And, they're you know, we just – we didn't know how to feel about the whole thing in general, and we didn't know if it was taboo to talk about it or um, or even – and so this time we decided, you know what, let's get some Grand Canyon guides. Let's get them involved. Let's make it a part of them. And we actually got Grand Canyon youth to be a part of um, a fundraising piece that we raised over $13,000 for the Grand Canyon youth. And and what happened in the midst of doing all this, the Flagstaff community and the Grand Canyon community was just like, this is awesome. And they they were just so receptive and welcoming and loved every single thing that we were doing. They wanted to know how we were doing it. They wanted to see the boat. They wanted to be, you know, all the details, how are you going to run this rapid? How, you know, how are you going to, you know, get through this section, you know, and it was pretty incredible to be a part of, um, feeling like nah, i'm just not some colorado guy stepping into their world it was like they were welcoming welcoming us into their world yeah, so.
0: you guys are rock stars we're, we're getting low on time but i do have two more quick yeah. questions i want to get in here before yeah. we before we let you go so a lot of people there's a you know you talk about 38 hours and whatnot there's a there's exhaustion where you've been doing something all day long 10 12 hours you know you're hard at it you're super tired but then there's throwing sleep deprivation into it. How would you describe that place? A lot of For people who haven't been in that place where you're fully exhausted and you're also fully sleep deprived.
4: Yeah, so the second night, the first night when we start out, we're starting out at midnight, you're, you're pretty jazzed, you're pretty excited. So it doesn't really affect you near as much. Then you go through the full big day. You're in the major you know, inner gorge, and you're having a blast. I mean, it's really, really fun. And then all of a sudden, the sun goes down the second night. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're probably not eating enough and don't have enough water. And then all of a sudden, you, it's the witching hour. It, you see the boogeyman. You feel like you're on another planet. Um, especially when you're, you've been hearing the same noises, the same things going on for hours and you don't even know where you are anymore. And it really, that is probably the toughest part psychologically is trying to figure out how do I get through this? And I just got to take it in small steps at this point. I've got the next 30 minutes, not thinking about, Oh gosh, we have another freaking 10 hours to do this. You gotta be kidding me. It's, no, I just got to get through the next hour. I just got to get to the next rest location. Or yeah. I just got to get to the next. And, and, and it is a really bad, um, and you're kind of picking each other up at certain times. You're kind of like, hey, how you doing? Okay. And you know, like, hey, my boy is suffering right now. I got to pick it up for him. And you feel that, that kind of energy from each other at certain times. Um, but sleep deprivation has a different effect on certain people. And there's certain people that can be the greatest athletes in the world, um and you don't get them sleep and they're useless um yeah and this time i think we were more prepared psychologically for the sleep deprivation which helped a ton so
0: what a last question here um yeah. what's, what's next
4: uh, everybody asked way too way too quickly people were asking so are you guys going to do it again are you guys going to do it again <laughs> um i'll never do a speed run again in the winter um uh, I, I think it's a little too risky one guy went to the hospital with frostbite i still don't have feeling in about three of my toes um i don't think i think the risk is a little bit too much um especially if last time we had 40 degree temperatures this time we had like more in the 20s uh, and so that was definitely a little too risky i would but then you start dealing with you know, heat exhaustion. Other times, so it, and then getting the water flows and guaranteeing the water flows. I don't know if we'll do the grain again. I think um, we're definitely really interested in some of these ultra paddling races. So, um, a couple of us are thinking about doing the mr 340. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's a 340 mile race across um, across Missouri, um, and then potentially do the Yukon 1000 uh-huh. at one point, uh-huh. um, which would be pretty fantastic so I we've kind of which we're not even like endurance guys but now we are kind of endurance guys
0: so. <laughs> there's something about it really getting fully exhausted weird. and not having any sleep I'm telling you there's something there that
4: it's really weird and it kind of hooks you and all of a sudden as soon as while you're doing it you're like I'm never doing this shit ever again and then all of a sudden <laughs> two days later you're like oh well what if we did this maybe we should do this and then um, you know, guys, like some guys from Outside Magazine and uh, an Adventure Journal, and uh, we're <laughs> they just kept. well, I think you guys should do this next. No, 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 no. Let me come up with stuff. <laughs> Let me come up with the ideas. Yeah. You, um, you guys
0: write the clickbait. So. I'll take care of the expedition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, John, we have got to run, man. I certainly appreciate you coming yeah, on the show. Big it. props to you guys. Yeah, you know, I've thought right, about. Man attempting that trip, I would have to do it under different, you know, I'd want to do it on a super high water trip. And who knows if that'll ever happen again, you know? So,
4: yeah, I even, um, I even called the Glen Canyon dam operator, um, <laughs> to try to get water, <laughs> crank it up. Uh, and and yeah, I was like, I sadly saw that the water flows were not going to happen. And, uh, we'd have to be guaranteed better flows to try it again. But yeah, mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's good to meet you, John. Thanks for coming on the show, yeah, man. Thanks time. Yeah,
2: thanks for talking.
4: Awesome <laughs> yeah, thanks for Appreciate
2: it, man. Awesome effort, dude. Grass on a badass threat.
0: There you have it, boys. I mean, you got to give it up for him for trying. I mean, that was two two times. I didn't realize they were actually ahead of the record when their raft broke last time. That was kind of that's
1: confounding. Me. I mean, I, was, I I just learned something today for sure. I had no concept that was possible.
0: Oh, man. All right. Well, we're way, way deep into two hours and 12 minutes of recording. I may have to pop this one into two shows. Lewis is literally almost asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we don't have time. We have a bunch of listener mails. Let's just kind of kick those the next episode. Or do you want to jump into some of these since we're here? I mean, we are here.
1: Uh... Well, I'd like to make a quick mention about the hip grade video. You have to put a link up to that in the uh, show notes
0: oh my god we didn't <laughs> talk about the 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 lithium ion powered kayak either
1: yeah oh Ugh. man all right a man fergus coffee gave said the link i found it on my own too but there is a link of the chris hebcrae video from i'm gonna guess sometime in the late 80s running these uh this this trickle of a creek bed in, in <laughs> wales i think huge waterfall.
0: Landy Flat, everybody got beat up. I'll put that in the show notes. It made its round
1: on social media. Did you see the video, Geltman?
2: I've, I've seen it in years past. I have not watched it on this recent.
1: I'm going to make two very – I'm going to make two very – want to make a, just a quick observation. If, if you compare the paddling styles of those guys to every other video made of that same era, these guys are remarkably contemporary in their style and technique. They look like modern-day paddlers, but if you look at people paddling in the '80s, in general, they look, it looks ridiculous. It's laughable. They do have this really loosey-goosey duffek stroke thrown in there every once in a while. That was very—I remember that it was very popular back in the day, For being a dislocating shoulder type duffek.
0: But it was a great video. The editing the was boats really so good. so tippy.
1: You see how tippy <laughs> those boats looked? Is it just me? I mean they're flipping over every single rapid. Are they in like
2: Topolinos or something? They're
1: Topolinos, yeah. The boof
0: was not really their forte in that video.
2: Maybe they had one, but they weren't. But you
0: had no
1: one was boofing back then. That just wasn't a thing, right? People people were just drilling rapids (laughs) in nineteen eighty eight. You just plugged it like Red October, man. You just went over and went deep. (sighs) Oh Mariah Mariah comes in
0: here. She calls Weld a boomer which I thought was good. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, Mariah Henney writes in, our first response is, okay, Boomer, let's teach you something about
1: Instagram. It's possible to have more than one feed. Um, this That's what was... my kids tell me. My kids say, okay, Boomer to me, which I, I love. <laughs> so thanks, Mariah. <laughs> of course I know you can have more than one Instagram feed. I'm not a, I'm not a moron. But these athletes only have one Instagram feed, right? I, they one. don't have to. They have one.
0: Well, regardless of what Instagram feed they have, I will say they're the same person no matter where they have it. So, you know, the same associations go around. Um, Big kudos to Geltman. She also says big kudos to Geltman for not folding on his opinion on kayak rentals. Um, You know, he he says thanks for calling out privilege on the last episode, even though it made some people uncomfortable. I did see a comment come, come across the board, Lewis. I don't know if you saw this, but... It said the Hammer Factor would be so much better without Geltman.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah, of course it would. I saw somebody suggested on on, on Pat's Graham that they should replace me with uh, that. You guys should replace me with James McLeod, which is actually probably a fantastic idea. It'd probably be a way uh, better podcast.
1: There'd be no no Hammer Factor uh, without
0: Geltman. You're too dug in now. We can't get rid of you. Um also she says she's trying to organize a woman's uh a women's slalom for Whitewater Clinic in the southeast. Bring Ashley knee down to lead extract in the clinic. They have some women interested. Um I could probably help you guys with that, Mariah. I think that is a, a sick little idea.
2: I think this is a cool thing that, that Kaleva's been doing. Like Ashley's been doing these these clinics with Kaleva up in D C like slalom for river runners, which I think is a pretty cool concept, you know. It's like instead of everybody who goes out and paddling gates having to pretend like they're gonna make the next olympic team like going out there and you know learning skills in a way that's expressly intended to be applicable to running the shit so i think that's i think that's a cool concept i hope they succeed and, with it down there
1: Unless anyone thinks i'm poo-pooing kaleva i'm not you These guys properly poo-pooed kaleva I did not poo poo Kaleva. I was a cautionary tale about, about Steve O, you know, selling stuff too cheaply. That's all.
0: The Kaleva's got some rad stuff going on up
1: there. I want to come back in my next
2: life as a Markov. Seriously, right? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about.
0: Can we talk about <laughs> the lithium
2: ion kayak? Did when you guys this see happens.
0: this? Did you guys see this?
2: Yeah, I don't really click on links for YouTube videos to be honest. It didn't.
1: It didn't really hit home to me, like how crucial piece piece of t- technology this was, until the guy skipped over that land bridge into the next piece of water. Did That's where see? I was like, bingo, this is working. It's all coming together.
0: You see what I'm saying?
1: I'm like, seeing what you're saying. And remember, yeah.
0: remember the video that Sean Baker made? God, I don't know, eight, ten years ago or something, where he put also, the motor.
1: Who's also in the hip crate video, by the way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Who put who put the motor on the kayak, like the gas powered motor. When I saw that I was like, that's the dumbest thing ever. You could never take that on whitewater because it can't go underwater. You know what I mean? You can't a gas motor will not work underwater unless you had some like big tube. But this thing What's what's powering this thing? It's lithium ion technology. It's jet packs. It's like a jet ski little system with a lithium ion battery. Tell me, now not in that regard, not in that regard, but tell me it would not be fun as hell to take one of these boats out to a river. Not that boat in particular, maybe a different This is
1: combining one-wheeling and kayaking. Finally, Grace, you have something you can really (laughs) sink your teeth
2: into. This is this is the thing that's gonna finally drive me to quit kayaking. When now t- I start seeing people out on the river and electric kayaks, I'm gonna like that's gonna be the end. Like I'm gonna just I'm gonna I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna be like I'm gonna curl up in the fetal position and cry, and then I'm gonna move to northern BC and you guys are never gonna hear from me again.
0: <laughs> there's a part of me that shares that. <laughs> but there's also another part of me that's like think how
1: sick it would be. I mean so like, sail off of how Pile Falls at like 25 miles per hour. And yes! Like, like, yes! clear of the base of the falls.
0: Or just a big wave train on the Grand Canyon. You know, you talk about wave wheels.
2: I mean, back up. You know, watch this, son.
0: Huh? I'm just saying. And then you could just attain back up and do it again.
2: Like, what if you could double waves? That'd be sick. That's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> I, I guarantee you could. Did you see the dude skip over the rock? That's essentially what he was doing. Yeah. dude. You think that you'd be up in that crowd at Pillow Rock? Crowd would be at Pillow Rock. They'd be like hooting hey, you know, and I'd be on the gas. I'd be watching. Dude, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm with you on your sentiment. I really don't want it to happen. It's like that forbidden fruit. But oh my god, dude! It would be so fun. I mean. And, you know, I would want it, like, where you had some kind of control on your paddle. I wouldn't want it, like, that one where it's just, like, and he's, like, whatever. I'd want it, like, off, but be able to engage it, you know, so you could milk a battery for, like, a whole, like... Anyway, I don't know. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I've Lithium ion technology. Don't hate on it.
1: Can I address Eugene Buchanan real quick? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Eugene Buchanan wants Scott Shilpa to come on the show. Eugene, we had him on the show, so everything you just said we we did that and then he also invited himself on the show uh and to be honest i could think of worse guests. he's an interesting dude for sure
0: yep we'll have to get eugene on the show at some various point we did have scott on it that was a very interesting show that was back in the early that was probably early teens or maybe even single digits
1: um yeah that was early on um
0: good show um, we have some other slalom racing things here. Let's go ahead and touch on these. Melissa Connolly comes in.
1: Um, well, she asked about slalom races, uh, and then Peter Benedict and our man, Liam wrote in a couple other things. Actually, I think Peter Benedict maybe did. he's repeating what Lewis already said. Go ahead. What do you got?
0: Anyway, she says, thanks for answering my sol- uh, slalom questions and resources link. It's very She She's, I have a request. She wants a whitewater journal. We do a film festival every year. Where is it at? The treasure of the Utah Whitewater Club. There it is. Um, we do a film festival in April every year, now entering its 20th year. We have a raffle silent auction. Would you be considered donating a Whitewater Journal? <sighs> There'll be one your oh, way, boy. Melissa. Send me your, send, me your, send me your address. I'll ship you one out. Um, thanks for that hit up. And then one more. Liam, where was... Uh,
1: Smil Peter Benedict reminded us that there are solemn gates uh, solemn races Fibark and Salida and and gates there. Yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. I think
0: and I think that also Liam was kind of giving us the same the same yeah. the same thing there. But at 2 hours and 20 minutes in, I'm going to make the executive decision here that we are going to get into everyone's favorite section of the show here, your rants and raves to shut us down. Lewis, I think it's only appropriate that you start us off. Mm. Really?
2: <laughs> I don't really have anything.
0: All right, I got something. I got a rave. And I, Lewis, you you probably won't be able to relate to this, but I know you will. Weld is I went skiing. We have this program, the Adventure Club, at my oldest kid's grade school. At Jax's grade school, he's in first grade. It's called the Adventure Club. Hundred and ten dollars, you get six Mondays in a row of skiing for the whole family.
1: Where? wow at, who? At, at Cataloochee
0: Ski Resort. Where's that? Uh, it's right. It's basically at. The, it's in the Smokies, right next to. Are the Smokies. you skiing on snow? I mean, or leaves? No, you're skiing on snow. It's like fifty-five hundred feet elevation. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a good little hill for an East Coast hill. Anyway, one hundred ten bucks. That includes six sessions. That's so. Sweet. Do the math on that. It's awesome. But we took all the kids. My twins, who are four years old. We all went skiing. Jax has got it. He skis wherever. He's, like, trying to get air and do jumps and whatever. But the little kids, no fits. Nobody shit their diaper or shit their underwear. No drama. Including you. Including (laughs) me. Like, literally, we went and did this super fun thing. And if you're a parent and you have little kids, it will get to the point where you can go out and do fun stuff.
1: And skiing, by the way, is like one of the very first things you can do as a family where you can actually go out and have fun with your kids. Oh, you're not, you're not just enduring it.
0: Exactly. That's exactly
1: what I'm saying. You're not just enduring it. We literally had fun. They were actually skiing stuff that I didn't mind skiing on my own. Yes. Four and five years old. It was was crazy. Yes. And they just get it. You don't
0: have to teach them much, you know, it's just, they just get it. And. We had a family experience and you're right, we that's a great way to put it. We just didn't endure it. We had fun. Every single person had fun. Chelsea my wife she's way better skier than you know, she's way better than me and whatever. And she even had fun and it was rad. So that's my rant.
1: I mean that's my rave. I'm gonna rave about my trust fund. Sick, let's go to Maui. I just wanna talk about how great it is.
0: Yeah. How does your trust fund work? I've always wondered exactly how these work. you get a stipend every month or? I don't know.
1: I just go to the ATM and it's there. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) How does it work for
0: anybody? That's that's worth a raise. (laughs) That's not, it doesn't work that way for me, but. uh...
1: Well, my dad taught English at a community college (laughs) and it made him very, very wealthy. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why you can
0: just go to the ATM And do withdrawals I guess I don't know
1: <laughs> The money's just there
0: <laughs> Oh Lewis you really don't have anything to contribute On the ransomware
2: no, I'm going to rave about My <laughs> 2020 Hammer Factor Whitewater Journal I like. i have not really written down what I, I don't know you sent me one last year And I never wrote anything and i haven't tried to write down what i was doing paddling wise since i kept a training log when i was racing solo which i was never very good at but i've actually been been writing in the, the whitewater journal and it's like it's been good i've like, been enjoying it i like get something out of that did and like i like the way you've like formatted it it makes it like very very easy to like whether i have something i want to write or something i don't particularly want to just to like do it yeah so like thanks for doing that man
0: Yeah, you're welcome. It's caught on. The old Whitewater Journal's caught on. I'm enjoying it. Man, journaling is a big thing, especially, I mean, think how much crap you guys have forgotten of paddling over the time. You know? And now think about it, Lewis. If you keep this thing like five, six years, somebody's like, oh, what was it like in 2020? And you're like, oh, yeah boys just ran it at five six you know totally
2: it's like my like like all my all the years just like blend together i can't remember what year anything happened anymore or like and yeah i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of psyched to stick with us for a little bit
0: sick dude i can't wait to see i'm up to 11 days now
2: yeah I i caught up
0: with you a little bit oh yeah most of those are in the wild water boat on the french broad but
2: paddling's paddling i'm gonna drag weld out here soon my one of my projects.
0: Stay strong, Weld. <laughs> Stay strong.
1: <laughs> well, when I get back from Maui in June, we can talk about it.
0: <laughs> uh, well, thank you to everybody for listening to Hammer Factor, episode 71. This may be a second, a two-part show, maybe a one-part show. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the, on the other side.